Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sybil. And this is Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're doing our first in a reoccurring series of Marvel's Cinematic Universe romantic comedy crossovers, this time featuring co-stars from Ant-Man and The Wasp. We'll talk about age gap romances, what it means to age naturally, and the pressures on older women, especially in Hollywood. And we'll revisit the work of writer-director Amy Heckerling as we discuss the 2007 Michelle Pfeiffer-Paul Rudd romantic comedy, I Could Never Be Your Woman. Welcome back, Sybil. I'm glad to have you back with us on the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be back. I've missed everyone here and talking about movies. Yeah, and you just missed Sophia, but that's okay. Well, I'm sure it'll happen again someday in the future. I'm um, sure it will. I wanted to give you the chance, if you're interested in it, to share with people what you've been doing um, while you've been away from the podcast. What are some of the things that are going on in your world these days? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been really busy. I'm an esthetician and I've been working in skincare for a lot of years. And I started up my business again in Los Angeles, but I live in Las Vegas. So I've been telecommuting there, uh, as well as driving down to see clients uh, in person. And then it's tax season for businesses. So 2020 taxes are a little bit crazy this year because of all of the help and the PPPs and all those things. And so I just had to dig in really deep and get that taken care of. So not sexy, but I did it. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like I think you've been to some conferences too again, like when things reopened. Is that like I yeah, think I saw that's that. true. I did. I've been to I've been to a few conferences. So let's see. From you know, when I moved to Vegas, one of the first things I did is I went on they have this big convention website and it tells you all the Las Vegas conventions because this is the convention capital of America. And I was like, okay, these are the ones I want to go to based on what's happening. So I went to a pizza convention, which I ate my weight in pizza and then was like, <laughs> oh my God, I love pizza so much. <laughs> um, and then I was at a couple skincare ones, which i had never even heard of. And I've been doing skincare for years. But one was called White Label, and it's almost all, all CBD products, which is not oh, what wow. I'm really into. But there's other things there. And I met some really fun people. White Labeling is this idea that you'll take a product and then put your own brand onto it. So that's what okay. White Labeling is. Okay. And then I went to a big hydrofacial conference, um, which I do hydrofacials. And so it's just a, a kind of skincare technique. And I went to that. And that was a lot of fun as well. Nice. And since Sybil, since it's been a while since you've been on the show, um, can you just like let people know where they can find your skincare work, et cetera? Yeah. So you can find me at C as in cat, S as in Sam, O-L-Y-N.com. That's csolen.com. That is where I am located. You can always find me there. Nice. I'm sure there's probably a lot of people who'd be interested to hear about your work. Yeah, I do a lot of skincare. I specialize in really hard cases. And my philosophy is that I can transform your skin with, you know, massage in my hands. Nice. So another thing I wanted to talk about, since this is the first in our series of Marvel Cinematic Universe rom-com crossovers, is like, what are some Marvel things that you've been watching lately? It seems like they've been coming out with stuff all the time. Yeah, I mean... 
So we just did a rewatch of a bunch of the Avengers movies. Um, Thor is my absolute favorite. The newest Thor, Thor Ragnarok, is my actual yeah. absolute favorite. I just, I, you know, Taika really can make a really fun movie. And so I loved that one particularly. And I think that's my primary. I, I am excited about going out and seeing the new one that's out, whatever the Shang Chi. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the um, WandaVision or Loki or any of that? Or oh, yeah. Like- so Loki was phenomenal. I think it was the best. It's been one of the best TV shows. It was bonkers. And I loved every minute of it. And yes. I enjoyed WandaVision a lot. But then I watched Loki and I was like, but Loki is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I was I'm a big fan of Alligator Loki in particular. So heck, yeah. Heck if you yeah. haven't I mean, seen Loki of, yet, Loki. it's worth it alone for that, basically. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the new movie too, but I'm I'm still like a little like up and down about whether I want to go to the cinema, but mm. maybe we'll get there. Yeah, we've been going here and it's been nice. It's been nice to go back out. Uh, they've kept it mostly clean. I mean, I definitely go and I sanitize everything myself and, you know, you wear masks in the theater and I just try to go at a time that not many people are there, which tends to be a weekday at like three o'clock. There's, hmm. there's like me and like two people in there and that's it. Nice. Anyway, yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this movie today and in ter- also in terms of just like the weirdness of seeing characters that I first saw together in the MCU in a rom-com that I saw for the first time recently. <laughs> Before we get started today, just a few reminders. First, like most of our episodes, the beginning of the show will be spoiler-free and we'll warn you before starting the spoiler section. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom, podcast and blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And now we're going to listen to the trailer for I Could Never Be Your Woman. Hey, Ma, when can I have sex? Uh, when you get your master's degree. Rosie's daughter is growing up too fast. Congratulations, you're a woman. Let the games begin. Her ex refuses to act his age. What happened to your head? I had to have some plugs removed because the hairs were growing into my head instead of out of it. And every day, Mother Nature reminds her she's getting older. You can job and peel and nip and tuck. But your insides are still rotting away. But love has other plans. This is Adam. No, wait. Give me a sec. How do you do that? This guy who used to be my roommate is playing in a band on Friday night. What do you say? Okay. How old are you? Why, how old are you? 37. What do you think? I like it. Look what happens when I do this. Then don't do that. You want to dance? I couldn't, but don't let me stop you. You're nuts. Hey, it's Friday night. I gotta bring my A game. I'm not really 37. How old are you? 38. 31. 40. 29. What happened to 30? What happened to 39? You're not even in your 30s. Well, neither are you. Where's Adam? I decided we shouldn't go out anymore. Why? I like him. I'm trying to be mature. That's not really your style. No boyfriend, no job. You happy now? This is the first guy you've dated in 10 years I can actually hang out with. I am trying to be Bruce Willisy. Yeah, I'm trying to be Ashton, which in turn would make her uh, Demi. I am not Demi! You are not Ashton, and you are definitely not Bruce Willis! 
summer, love is about letting go. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. Would you like me to seduce you? Yes. And taking a chance. From director Amy Heckerling comes a romantic comedy for the ages. I don't care how old you are. You don't? No, I just care how much you weigh. No! <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer and Paul Rudd. I could never be your woman. Don't answer it. It's my mom. I'm so. Hey, mom. Guess what you found? Yeah, look, can I, can I call you back? Wow, they managed to package that into what sounded like a, a cohesive movie. Um, yeah, but at the same time, so much trailer for, whoa, okay. <laughs> well, that's actually, I think that's a pretty normal trailer length. But yeah, um, yeah, I just don't usually play the whole trailer on the show. But <laughs> yeah, this is I Could Never Be Your Woman. It was released some places in the 2007. I was written and directed by Amy Heckerling, starring Michelle Pfeiffer, Paul Rudd, and Saoirse Ronan. Uh, the basic premise is this. Rosie, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, is a TV producer writer working on a teen show, show called You Go Girl. While casting the role of nerdy guy who's going to get a makeover, she's impressed by the performance of Adam, played by Paul Rudd. Adam is cast on the show, and Adam and Rosie become attracted to each other. Adam asks Rosie on a date. Rosie has some doubts about the relationship. This is exacerbated by her jealous secretary's attempts at sabotage. Rosie's relationship with her tween daughter, Izzy, is also important to the movie. Izzy is trying to impress Dylan, a boy at her school. So some interesting facts about the movie. So Amy Heckerling originally wrote this film in 1997, which is the same year that the White Town song from the title, I Could Never Be Your, or Your Woman, with the chorus, I Could Never Be Your Woman, came out. It was inspired by her time spent producing the TV adaptation of Clueless and raising a preteen daughter alone. So according to Entertainment Weekly, uh, quote, every day she felt increasingly ambivalent about working in an industry that promotes unrealistic standards of beauty for young girls and considers women over 40 to be prehistoric beasts. The film cost $25 million to make, but it grossed only $9.5 million for reasons which will become clear in a minute. Um, and it was set in L.A., but a lot of it was apparently filmed in the U.K. to take advantage of tax breaks. And the movie wrapped in 2005, and then it was beset by distribution problems. So MGM shelved it because there was a dispute over Pfeiffer's percentage of the gross. Like, apparently she took a percentage of the gross because she was getting paid a much lower salary than usual. Mm -hmm. And they weren't sure they liked it anymore. <laughs> and and then other studios were uninterested in picking it up because the company had already sold the DVD rights. So without that, they're losing a lot of money. So what ended up happening to the film, it was not released theatrically in the United States. Uh, it was released theatrically in Spain, Belgium, Brazil, Greece, and Taiwan. And in the U.S., it went direct to video in February 2008. Another interesting thing about the movie, it's Saoirse Ronan's feature film debut. And Rudd and Pfeiffer would go on to appear together in Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is one of the reasons we're doing this episode. And there's a lot of Clueless alum in the movie, including Paul Rudd, Stacey Dash, Wallace Shawn. And if you you'll blink and you'll miss it, but Twink Kaplan is also in there. Uh, she plays the female teacher who gets made over in Clueless. Hmm. And one other thing I just wanted to talk about 
quickly at the top of the show. So when I saw the movie title, I was immediately reminded of the White Town song from 1997. Do you remember that song? Yeah, well, yeah, of course. Yes. I could never be your woman. Dun, yep. dun, dun. Yeah, just for people who haven't like uh, heard it in a long time. So I just wanted to look up kind of like what was the meaning of that song in the first place or like why might she have used this heckerling used the song. Um, I guess it makes a nice title. But um, the song itself was, like I said, was released in 1997, sung by White Town. White Town apparently is just one person. It's a one member group. Um, Jyoti Prakash Mishra is the name of the person who is White Town and wrote the song. Um, Mishra is from an Indian family that immigrated to the UK when he was three and his band name is based on his experience growing up brown in white areas. And also it's an allusion to segregation in colonial India. I guess they would have places called the white town. Mm. And, yeah. And in terms of the lyrics, um, like parts of the lyrics are like, I could never be the right kind of girl for you. I could never be your woman. So when he wrote it, um, here's a quote, quote, when I wrote it, I was trying to write a pop song that had more than one perspective. Although it's written in the first person, the character behind that viewpoint isn't necessarily what the casual listener would expect. So these are some of the things that um, he says it might be about. Quote, being a member of an orthodox Trotskyist Marxist movement, being a straight guy in love with a lesbian, being a gay guy in love with a straight man, being a straight girl in love with a lying two-timing fake arse Marxist. <laughs> the hypocrisy that results when love and lust get mixed up with highbrow ideals. So end quote. So these are like, these would not have come to my mind when listening to that song. But hey, (laughs) I guess it is it is a multiple perspective, you can think of you can make this title into whatever serves your movie. And the song is also used at one point in the movie, in addition to being used in the title. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And the same website of the artist, um, White Town, says that they don't believe humans are straight, gay, or bisexual, but rather just sexual, like bonobos. So, all right. I was glad to learn a little more about White Town. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you shared that. I found that super interesting and (laughs) would not have known anything about that. And it's Marxist, potentially Marxist history. Yeah. It's like, okay. He really seems to be concerned about fake Marxists. Yes. I was like, all right. (laughs) So um, I want to see a movie about that now. Yes, absolutely. Okay, let's see. Had you seen this movie before the podcast or heard of it, etc.? Like, when did you first encounter it? Yeah, um, the very first time I saw this movie, and I had completely forgotten that I had seen it at all until I was asked to watch it again. Uh, I'd watched it I think on HBO at like probably two o'clock in the morning at some time when I was like, you know, in school. And I was like, what is this exactly? Because I knew Michelle Pfeiffer and I actually really, I was already a fan of Paul Rudd and because he does a lot of romantic comedy and people forget that. And I talked about that in our Clueless one, like, well, he's a romantic lead in lots of things. It's it's one of his jams. And I remember like watching part of it and being like, this is terrible. And then just turning it off. So does that describe your general opinion then? Do you still find the movie to be bad slash dribble? Yeah, sadly, like- I find this movie to be pretty bad. I can watch it now with different eyes because now I know that, you know, you've now seen Michelle Pfeiffer and Rudd in, you know, Ant-Man. And you're like, wow, they, they're they they're so interesting together. And you're like, so was it this just scripturally bad? Was it directed really poorly? Or was this just a hot mess because of the studios? You know, you can mm-hmm. I can look at it from a movie perspective and wonder – is it a hot mess because of the studios? Did they ask for a bunch of rewrites, et cetera? 
So, okay, for me, like, I actually, I don't love it, but I actually liked it. And this was actually the first time I'd seen the movie was for watching it for the podcast. Um, I, like, I found myself smiling a lot while I was watching Rudd and Pfeiffer. And, like, to me, that's always a sign that, like, I'm enjoying Mm. a rom-com. Because, like, I really like their chemistry together. And while I found the movie to be totally disorganized in a lot of ways and trying to, like, cram too much shit into one movie, basically... Mm-hmm. I mean, I know the pain of that because I do that with the podcast sometimes, trying to cram too much shit into it. <laughs> like, it's definitely, it's about too many things. Like, I think yeah. the movie's trying to be about too many things at the same time. But but like I said, I was smiling. Like, I would just find myself smiling at the scenes between Rudd and Pfeiffer. I found them a really good pair romantically. And yeah, I, yeah. And also some of, I found some of Heckerling's individual scenes and individual bits of dialogue to be very funny. Like, I agree on on that. Like there was a, there are pieces now as I watched it later I can enjoy like like I said I think that they are fun together. I I enjoyed watching them together on the screen and I could watch certain scenes and be like this is fun as a scene but then at the movie I was like ugh. ugh. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. It, it, this movie is for some people. You could you can everyone should watch it and make their own opinion. <laughs> well, we'll talk more about our opinions about different parts of the movie as we go on and we'll dissect uh, what works and what doesn't work too. Mm-hmm. All right. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about this MCU rom-com concept. So the reason I had the idea for this series was after watching What's Your Number with Chris Evans and Anna Faris. And Anna Faris obviously isn't in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but in What's Your Number, there's Chris Evans, Anthony Mackie, Martin Freeman, and Chris Pratt. Like, so four MCU people in the same movie, but inhabiting totally different characters and occasionally relating to each other. And I just found it for, for some, maybe because I'm such a Marvel fan, I just found it so interesting and amusing. And just like thinking about like, look what they're doing together now. So I started th- finding other movies where that was the case, like Only You, where you can see um, Iron Man and Aunt May together. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. And just, I wanted to do, I thought it would be fun to do a series, but we're not going to do the series all together like we usually do because we're about to go into the horror rom-com season, but we're just going to pop one of these in every so often, I decided. That'll so, be fun. Yeah, I, th- I just think it's a fun thing. And like now that Judy Greer's in the MCU as Ant-Man's ex-wife, you know, it's really going to exponentially like the number of rom-coms that are Well, at some point, everyone who's anyone is going to be the, M- the yeah, MCU. Yeah, that is also true, especially with the TV shows coming in too. Yeah. Anyway, so just in terms of like uh, how how these characters, how Michelle Pfeiffer and Paul Rudd are part of the MCU, in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Paul Rudd plays Ant-Man. And he's working with Hank Pym, who's played by Michael Douglas, not in this movie. And he's dating Hank Pym's daughter, the younger Wasp, played by Evangeline Lilly. And then Michelle Pfeiffer plays Hank Pym's long-lost wife and his girlfriend's long-lost mother, Janet Van Dyne, the original Wasp. So Rudd and Pfeiffer are in a potential son-in-law, mother-in-law relationship in Ant-Man and the Wasp. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe they won't get married, but that's kind of the, the... they're not boyfriend and girlfriend anymore. And so I wanted to check what the age gaps were too then in Ant-Man. Michael Douglas, who plays Michelle Pfeiffer's Ant-Man husband, is 14 years older than her in real life. So in real life, Pfeiffer is actually closer in age to Paul Rudd. And Evangeline Lilly, who's Rudd's MCU girlfriend, is 10 years younger than him. So it's a similar age gap that he has with Michelle Pfeiffer. So it just shows you like in Ant-Man and the Wasp, you don't even think of Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas as having an age gap or Paul no. Rudd 
Angeline Lilly is having an age gap. It's kind of the double standard we see with women and younger men. But Pfeiffer's really likes her role nonetheless as Janet Van Dyne. Um, she's quoted about the role. I love that this phase, let's say in my life, that I'm playing a superhero. The message that it sends to women of all ages that we are still kicking ass. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I, and I appreciate that she's involved in this series. And do you like the Ant-Man and the Wasp or the Ant-Man movies and Ant-Man and the Wasp in particular? Um, I, they're not my favorites. I'm not going to say they're bad. They're just not the ones that I like enjoy very much. I don't okay. watch, I watch them over and over, but I, I know that they are, they're well received by people and I really do like Michelle Pfeiffer and Red together. I think they have good chemistry, like as friendship wise. Yeah. And I'm sure they're going to probably be interacting more in future. Mm-hmm. There's Ant-Man. Is it Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? Well, we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Quantumania. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I'm I'm actually a big Ant-Man fan. Like I was really excited when those movies came into the MCU. I just like the comedic aspect of it. I think it's a little more funnier and it's a little it's really funny and it's a little more down to earth than some of the other Marvel movies, I think. Like mm-hmm. they, it's more rooted in reality, I would say. Yeah, well, it's more like every for- man. It's like more like every man, every like the working man's kind of yeah, yeah. movie of MC. Rooted in reality, I say, when they just like add quantum in front of everything, as Ant-Man would say, to like justify technology. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like giant ants and small ants, whatever. Okay. <laughs> reality is a relative concept. Okay, so um, let's see. Uh, we'll, we'll now get into talking a little bit about the cast and crew, and some of them we've already covered, so we'll let you know where to hear more about them. So Amy Heckerling is the writer and director, and she is well known as the director of Clueless, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, among other films. And this movie came in between Loser and Vamps in her filmography. And she had also, this is a little bit of trivia, she had also recently directed the Hot Girl episode of The Office, where Amy Adams, before she got famous, was selling purses in The Office. So yeah. I just I was excited when I found that out because I'm a big Office fan too. But for more information on Amy Heckerling, you'll want to check out our Clueless episode, which is episode five, and we talk a lot about her career as a whole there. And then Paul Rudd, who is Adam, uh, at this point in his career, was already appearing in high-profile comedies like Anchorman and The Forty-Year-Old Virgin. For more information on Rudd, once again, go ahead and check out uh, episode five on Clueless. Yeah, and this is like the third, now the third movie we're doing Paul Rudd. We're not just like Paul Rudd super fans, although at least <laughs> one of our listeners is. Shout out to Jonah. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's he's fun to cover, I, I yeah. would say. He does, he's at the breadth of films. He has a lot of different films that he kinds of films he does. Yeah, I don't think it's the last we'll see of Rudd on the show either. I'm sure he'll be back at some point. Okay, and then a new person that we haven't covered before. Michelle Pfeiffer plays Rosie, the main character. Um, her So a little bit about Michelle Pfeiffer. Her first IMDb credit is in 1979 for a TV series called Delta House. And she was credited as The Bombshell. So it was kind of like a frat house mm. TV show, I guess. And then her first movie role was something called The Hollywood Nights, spelled with a K, in 1980. And then she had a lot of roles in the 80s. Oh, my gosh. She was in Grease 2, Scarface, Lady Hawk, The Witches of Eastwick, Dangerous Liaisons, The Fabulous Baker Boys. Moving into the 90s, she was in Frankie and Johnny. She played Catwoman in Batman Returns. She was so good in that role. Ellen Olenska in The Age of Innocence. Love it. Uh, Wolf, Dangerous Minds. 
Um, and then she was in some romances up close and personal and one fine day. Um, she was in the deep end of the ocean and she played Titania in A Midsummer Night's Dream. And then rolling into the 2000s, she was in What Lies Beneath, I Am Sam, and White Oleander. And then after I Could Never Be Your Woman, Hairspray, Stardust. She was in a couple more older women, younger men romances with Cherie and Personal Effects. And then she's been in Dark Shadows, Mother, and Murder on the Orient Express. And as mentioned, in 2018, she debuted in the MCU as Janet Van Dyne, the original Wasp in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And she also appeared in Endgame. And she's currently filming Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. And she's been nominated for three Oscars for Love Field, The Fabulous Baker Boys, and Dangerous Liaisons, but she has not yet won one. When I looked at her filmography, though, I was just like, wowed, because like I've seen so many of the movies and she's been so good, but in such a quiet way. Yeah. She, you know? That, and that's what it is. She her she is a very quiet talent. And you would think somebody so beautiful would not have so much like, you know, like quietness to her talent. She'd be like overblown or something, but gosh, she is so good in every role. She just encapsulates that person. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm and unlike a lot of the actors we've covered, I've seen so many of her movies too. She's mm-hmm. made so many things with such popular appeal as well. So Indeed. it seems like yeah. she makes good choices for her films. For sure. General. For sure. Uh, so we're going to talk about Sersha Ronan, who plays Izzy in, I think, one of the first roles I probably ever saw her in, to be honest. So first IMDb credit in 1994 TV series, The Clinic. I Could Never Be Your Woman was her first film role. Atonement came out later the same year, her first of four Oscar nominations at 13 years old. God, she is so good at her gig. Other important roles include The Lovely Bones, Hannah, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Mary Queen of Scots, Ammonite, and her three other Oscar-nominated roles, Brooklyn, Ladybird, and Little Women. Coming up, The French Dispatch, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, a lot of people are in that. Yeah, so you're a big Saoirse Ronan fan, I think, right? I am a huge Saoirse Ronan fan, absolutely. Yeah, I think she elevates most of the movies that she's in. She just really brings a lot of, like, a lot of feeling and emotion to such small amounts of dialogue. You're like, wow, how do you do that? Make me feel so deeply. Well, she really stood out in this film, too. I think we we probably will disagree about, like, whether we like the parts of the film she's in, but I have no quibble at all with her talent. I thought she really brought (laughs) it. Agreed, agreed. Okay, so there's a bunch of other actors in this film. We're not going to cover them extensively. We're just going to cover them in brief. So Tracy Ullman shows up playing Mother Nature, and she's known for the Tracy Ullman show, Bullets Over Broadway, Into the Woods, and much more. You have John Lovitz, who plays Nathan, the ex-husband, known for Saturday Night Live, The Critic, and much more. And um, my personal favorite John Lovitz appearance is just his cameo in The Wedding Singer. It's not much of a John Lovitz appearance, but it's very memorable. If you're a Wedding Singer fan, you'll know what I'm talking about. So then we've got Fred Willard, um, who plays the president of comedy at the network. And he's best known for the Christopher Guest mockumentaries, uh, Bet Lake Best in Show, A Mighty Wind, Waiting for Guffman, etc. But he's done a lot of other work. And I was sad to see that he actually passed away last year. So yeah. he was a great, great comedic talent. Yeah, um, I love I love most of the things he does. He's He was wonderful. Uh, Stacey Dash plays Brianna, star of You Go Girl, best known for Clueless, the movie and TV series. Listen to our Clueless episode for more information on that. 
And I was, I saw the name Graham Norton pop up in the credits and I knew I'd heard that name before. And he plays Taylor, the, I think the wardrobe guy for this TV show. And he's kind of like made Rosie's sort of gay best friend character, but not really. I don't know. That's the only way I know how to describe the character he plays. But uh-huh. anyway, I thought it was interesting because he's really well known in the UK for a comedy talk show called the Graham Norton show. Yeah. And that show started the year that I could never be your woman was eventually released. Yeah, you go on YouTube. The clips from his shows are always fantastic. He's well known for getting the most out of actors who are on his show, as well as really digging deep into questions that no one else will ask, but in a funny way. And did you recognize him when you saw him in the film? I did. And I was like, why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Okay, there's Sarah Alexander, who plays Jeannie, the evil assistant. She is a steady television actress, best known for coupling. She played a witch alongside Michelle Pfeiffer in Stardust. Yeah. Like I saw that on her resume. I'm like, oh, is she also one of the witches with Michelle Pfeiffer? And sure enough, she was. So I think that's kind of cool. They were working together again. And um, then we've got Henry Wrinkler shows up in an awesome cameo. He's best known as the Fonz on Happy Days, but he's a very steady actor. He's also worked as a producer, writer, and director. And I saw and looked and saw that he had actually directed two episodes of the Clueless TV series. So I don't know if he knew, you know, Amy Heckling before that, but like he at least knew her from that. That's fun. Wallace Shawn shows up as Izzy's math teacher and uh, appeared in Clueless movie and TV series, also appears in other Hecker- Heckerling films. So clearly well-loved. Yeah. Anyway, that's our cast and crew. Now we're going to get into the movie. And the movie's a little all over the place, but we'll try to pull it <laughs> together in some way. So we've got the opening scenes and credits are already introducing like several themes at the same time. So the first thing we see is like a bunch of, I think we see a bunch of like nature shots, like animal shots and oceans and mountains and birds and With the the Tracy Ullman voiceover. Yeah. Yeah. And then we see Tracy Ullman shows up like where the, like kind of like a toga and like a green headdress with leaves or something. And she's mother nature apparently. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, which and she- I was super confused by because it, I literally thought that we were like filming like a commercial or something and that we, <laughs> that she was going to be a person who was like a, a real person. So when she yeah. turned into Mother Nature, I was like, wait, what? I was super confused. Yeah, I think the whole thing is used very confusingly throughout the movie, too. Like sometimes people seem to be aware of her or at least Rosie seems to be aware of her and other times not. And like- yeah. <laughs> yeah, how she's utilized. And like she appears sometimes, but not others. And you're yep. like, what, what, why are you here now and not before? What, what yeah, is the oh. point of you? <laughs> well, I think what I feel like is that Amy Heckerling had maybe a separate idea about making a Mother Nature play or movie or something, and that was going to be its own thing. But then that didn't work out, so it got appended onto this. That's the feeling I get from it. Like something that a writer really loved that they couldn't kill, they had to put somewhere. It could be that. It also could be like, I mean, I've watched these rewrites happen a million times and it starts with this started in like the first part of the script or somebody said, we don't understand what's going on and we need you to add this. And so this got added. So one of those two things could have also happened. Right. I just can't imagine someone adding it, but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, she's giving Mother Nature's giving this monologue in the beginning too. And she's complaining about how the baby boomers, the baby boomers came along and they're in some way this uniquely unnatural generation because they were unwilling to go to war and they didn't want to have their, the women didn't want to have their babies young. They wanted to have a career first. 
And now she's excited because they're all going to grow old and they're not going to like that. And so it's like, it's like a weird, like mother nature getting upset specifically at baby boomers. And my thought when I'm watching that is like, really like are baby boomers like really uniquely unnatural in some way. It's like, we've had the industrial revolution prior to this. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Well, that's why I really thought that this was like mocking something. And I thought that she was a real person just reading dialogue because it just seems so weird and fake. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Um, So um, what do you, what would you think? Like, what would you think of Tracy Ullman's character? Like some of the thoughts that she had or like her role kind of being Rosie's like naysayer. What if she had been a, like a friend or a relative instead. I think in it would have worked much better if Tracy Ullman had been a friend that she called for advice, maybe a producer who knew more than her as a woman. Mm. And she kept calling her. She's like, I'm having trouble with my boss. You've done this before, you know, as a mentor, that could have been really interesting. And she could yeah. have had all these feelings, but they would have been her feelings and then use them in a way to help move the plot along for, yeah. you know, for our main character here. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, I think we're both a thumbs down on the whole concept of having Mother Nature show up as a character. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, but we may come back to her or not in the rest of the show. Like we said, she pops up in the movie somewhat unpredictably. Like once on a track eating a bag of Lay's potato chips while running. I'm not really sure what that was supposed to be either. Nope. Well, she's telling her that she needs to like be less skinny or something. There's something about her weight. And I was like, okay, are you just here to talk about people's weight? I oh, no, I think, it, I think it was, she was saying you can't like, even if you're skinny, your insides are still rotting or something. Ah, okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. So then we go from this mother nature thing, which is already kind of out there to like having a credits sequence with a montage of plastic surgeries and cosmetic procedures just being done on random people. Yeah. And this was just weird to me as well. I'm not really sure why this whole movie, you could have taken the plastic surgery nature out of this and it would have been a much better film if you just stripped that out because it was just really weird and it didn't play to anything where it was, where it was like heightening your fear of aging or because she like, it wasn't like that Michelle Pfeiffer was sitting around being like, Oh, I need to get plastic surgery. I feel that I'm old. Yeah. Like it wasn't, she wasn't getting plastic surgery. Like the only character in the movie that seemed to be getting work done like outright was her ex-husband Right, would come in sometimes. Yeah. And then there was that other show that was supposed to be taking over. There was all about plastic surgery, right? Yeah. Like the, the head of comedy, I think it's the head of comedy. Maybe it's the head of the whole studio. He keeps talking about different plastic surgery shows that are in development. That's another, yeah, that, that right. relates which, a little bit. Which at this era, in this time, you know, this is the time where there were all these, there were a bunch of plastics, like plastic surgery was really hot. And like when this movie was, you know, essentially conceptualized, we had the swan, we had uh, nip tuck. We had had long run and people were super into plastic surgery. They had had like two other reality series about essentially plastic surgeries and makeovers. Mm. And so we don't have them as much now because that's not the hot thing. Now you do it naturally. But that was really hot then. So it does age the film in my mind as well. It does make sense and it ages the movie. Yeah. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about the concepts that are introduced uh, about natural beauty, plastic surgery, et cetera, later in the show. But yeah, that's uh, we've got. So far, we've had Mother Nature, a plastic surgery montage. Mm -hmm. And and then we get into um, the actual movie. Like, actually, is there anything more you want to say about that montage first? Like, were you looking at it, like noticing, were there any 
types of surgery or treatments that you there recognized. There was nothing that I particularly noticed except that I was just like, it looked, it all looked like butchery. They, they did it so that everything kind of looked like butchery and none of it was like, I'm having great plastic surgery. It's all like, I'm having yeah. horror plastic surgery, right? Yeah. Yeah. It made it look unappealing for sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, after these two sort of strange, unrelated sequences, we finally get into the actual characters that we're going to see for the rest of the movie. And uh, we're introduced to Rosie's kind of family dynamic. So Mother Nature does do a voiceover to introduce Rosie. Um, she describes Rosie as, quote, in her 40s, trying to moisturize her way back to 30. But unfortunately, her ex-husband found a wife in her 20s, end quote. And she, we never, we see the the wife once and that's never even a problem either. So it's kind of like, it's a weird also, setup. Did you, did you ever notice, did Michelle Pfeiffer ever complain, talk about, or worry, except in relation to the fact she might be dating a younger man, her age? Yeah, did not she ever really. Compl- no, that's what I felt really weird. She never was like, I'm so old and like picked up her face or her bags. Or she like discussed like the fact that she's losing her ass or like anything like that. Nothing that that said that she was stressed about her aging and that she was getting old. It was all just put upon her by everyone around her. Yeah, for sure. And and not even everyone around her, because I don't think her daughter cared. I don't think like her, most of her friends cared or the guy she dates cared. Just like a few people who were sniping at her anyway, really. Yeah. Right. At least in the movie, in the movie world. So then we also get introduced to John Lovitz, who plays her ex-husband, Nathan, and they seem to have a fairly, fairly friendly relationship for exes. Like they're dealing with their joint custody pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a running joke of him stealing stuff from around the house, which I kind of liked, even though it was totally it irrelevant. It made no <laughs> sense. Is he poor? He can afford plastic surgery. I don't understand. No, he just wanted his old shit back is how I got it. Because like he's st- like, Izzy's like, mom, he stole the Welcome Back Cotter game. Like, I guess maybe he just liked the Welcome Back Cotter game and he tries to steal some vases later. I guess he just likes the stuff because like he still thinks of it as his from the divorce however many years ago. But but none of that is in the dialogue at all. It's just like well, some that, weird I mean, that's what I got. Stuff. That's what I got out of it. That's like the only reason I could think of that he's trying to because he would say like I bought it and then she's like, but I gave you the money to buy it. You know what I mean? Like that was right. the whole justification. I don't know. I found it funny anyway. Yeah, I found it awkward and weird and <laughs> yeah, pretty much his whole character could have been stripped out of this and I would have been better. Once again, would have been better off. Okay. Okay. I'm okay with John Lovitz. I, I was okay with him being around stealing the random shit, but that's okay. And then, yeah, the other running joke is of him like getting hair plugs or like, or the he said, the hair plugs are growing into my head in the first scene <laughs> and he had to get them removed. And later he gets like a chin implant, I think. He, he I does know. a chin implant. Why, why would he want one who based on his face, but okay. <laughs> okay. And then we're introduced to one of the most important characters in the movie, the precocious kid, Saoirse Ronan, played by Saoirse Ronan. Um, and it's kind of a trope in rom-coms. Like, there's like not too many of them, but there's a lot of rom-coms where there's like a, a kid who's like kind of smarter than their age and provides wisdom to their parent who's in their romance. Um, I thought Saoirse Ronan was a pretty good character. Nonetheless, though, um, she she often provides humor and she has a, sort of an air of sophistication that's combined with naivete at times. That's pretty realistic. And she's coming of age, too, which makes an interesting contract contrast with her mother. So, right. I mean, I thought that character worked. How about you? Well, you know, when you had put down precocious kid trope, I was like, I didn't even notice that. So I felt that she she had she had her own character 
but I don't, did she really give it too much advice to her mom? It really wasn't like they had a lot of advice. Mostly, most times the kid trope is like, they, they, they will be constantly telling the parent what they should be doing in their relationship. Sure. She didn't I mean, have she, that many, did she? Not that many, but like, I think she's really her mom's like sounding board and basically the closest thing she has like to a friend in this movie. Mm. She doesn't really have a best friend character. So she's kind of telling her kid about these things instead. I don't know. Right. Which I mean, that that does strike, like their relationship struck very real to me. Out of all the things, like that's the movie I wanted to watch. I was like, forget the rest. Like everything yeah. else just them down, put Paul Rudd in there and like, show me that film. I'm super into this. Wait, put Paul, put Paul Rudd in there. You're okay. Yeah, with go Paul ahead. Put Paul okay. Rudd in there. Like okay. he could still be like the person that she's trying to date or like yeah. what is interested in her. That gives them yeah. something to talk about. But focus instead on like the daughter, the mother daughter relationship. Sure. Yeah. And I, I really like the the scene. One of the scenes where they're introduced together. They're playing Barbies together, and the Barbies yeah. are having like a soap opera drama with each other. And like, I love that because like I, I always was making dramas with my Barbies, and they all had jobs and stuff like that. And I'm, one of the dialogue pieces I really like, which maybe I shouldn't. It's probably not sensitive. I have a mental illness, so I feel more comfortable being laughing at this. But um, so the Barbies are having this fight, this dramatic fight with each other. And then all of a sudden, Michelle Pfeiffer's Barbie said, I think you're really nice. You want to go swimming? And then Saoirse Ronan's character said, why is she suddenly so happy? And then Michelle Pfeiffer said, she's manic depressive. <laughs> I don't know why. I just like every time I see that bit of dialogue, I just crack up way too much. I'm just like, oh, all right. And let's see. Oh, so when you said you would leave Paul Rudd in, would you leave the next element of the plot in, which is the TV show You Go Girl? Would you put in the Hollywood aspect? Yeah, um, I don't. I didn't really care about this either way. I mean, I enjoy this is some of the section I actually enjoyed watching mm-hmm. because I just thought it was fun. Like of the stuff yeah. was fun, but was it necessary to the plot? Probably yeah. not. You could have put them in any other realm, and it would have been just as fun. Fine, but I enjoyed this section, so I would leave it if I could. Yeah, so this section is um, the TV show within the movie, You Go Girl. Rosie seems you, to be- You have to say it like this, You Go Girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to have more enthusiasm next time. <laughs> okay, anyway, Rosie's like the, she, she would be like, the, I don't, I think she's the show creator maybe, but she's at least a producer and a writer on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what the sense you got? Yeah, um, I got the sense that, go, she had crea- that she had created it and she was also doing some writing on it yeah. and, and and still producing it, but that she wasn't given as much autonomy as she wanted to be, obviously. Yeah. And the characters related to the You Go Girl universe. <laughs> did I do better that time? <laughs> yes, you did amazing. So <laughs> the characters related to that universe, we've got Brianna played by Stacey Dash is the star of the show. Um, Taylor, played by Graham Norton, seems to be in charge of wardrobe, costuming, something like yes, that. Yes. And then Jeannie is her evil secretary or assistant or whatever. So Jeannie is like constantly trying to undermine Rosie, like dropping like evil comments about her to people, like lying about where she is, stealing things from her, wasting time while she's supposed to be where, et cetera, the whole thing. And yeah. <laughs> that and, her, her role made me think, does did did Heckerling actually have a secretary or an assistant like this? I it really seemed wanted to like know. it. Yeah, yes. it really seemed like it must be based in something, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I couldn't find any information about that, but yeah. Anyway, um, so this part of the film, like we said, is inspired by Heckerling's time working on the Clueless TV series. And just some quick info about that show. 
So the Clueless series premiered on ABC in 1996 for a first season, but ABC canceled the show. But um, by like after it canceled it, the rerun started doing well in the ratings, but it was too late to get it back. It had already moved to UPN. It was on UPN for two more seasons before being canceled. And just as we said in our Clueless episode, Alisa Silverstone, Brittany Murphy, and Paul Rudd did not reprise their roles for the TV show, but a lot of the film's actors did. Actually, most of the, the supporting actors did, including Stacey Dash. And yeah, so that's the inspiration. You can see a lot of the episodes on YouTube. They're just free. So I'd recommend it if you're interested in Clueless or knowing more about Heckerling's work after that movie. Check it out. So throughout the movie... um, Rosie has a lot of pressures um, related to making you go, girl. <laughs> yes. And she's having to meet all the time with Fred Willard. Is Fred Willard the president of comedy? I felt like that was I what... think that he's the president of something. He's yeah. the president of comedy, but also he's got to be he's got to be in charge of something higher than that. Yeah. Like she keeps saying she has to meet with the president of comedy. And I'm like, is it that guy? Is it the guy complaining about the, the dialogue? He seems like the censor, really. I don't know. Anyway, he's the president of something. And she's keep Rosie keeps getting pressure like about her show. Like she has pressure to make good ratings. Um, she has to cut out material that's too risky. Um, there's a scene that gets cut out where her evil secretary is holding two bowling balls. And then she says, these balls are so heavy. And that gets cut because it's too sexy. <laughs> <laughs> that was hysterical to me. You know that <laughs> you you knew at that point that Heckerling had had stuff like this in real life happen and was yeah. like, are you effing kidding me? Yeah, exactly. And then um, there's also like, she's also pressured to like stop having shows about issues like eating disorders or like teen pregnancy, or as the president of comedy so charmingly says, no homos. <laughs> like, huh. but like maybe a lesbian kiss once in a while. <laughs> Which yep. is is so accurate to what it was like back then. Like uh, probably would, still like now, a little better now. I would say it's, maybe but, maybe yeah. pretending. Maybe they slapped stickers on it where they're pretending, but probably not that much better. Like post Love Simon, it's definitely like more friendly to gay males in a teen environment. I would say than it was back in the the days. Like I remember Absolutely watching the true. like the OC or something. It's like you'd get like a lesbian, you know, subplot. Or like a lesbian experimentation subplot would be more accurate, right? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And then like at the same time that she's not supposed to talk about issues or have things that are like too sexy, um, she also has this pressure to be youthful. And the president of comedy, like, like his idea is that we're going to use all this different slang that he got from a bunch of consultants, which, wow. Yeah. <laughs> And um, yeah, moving on to that, then Heckerling again is taking on slang. So in Clueless, she actually coined terms, as we talk about on that episode. Mm -hmm. She kind of invented language almost or took language that was being used and broadcast it to a bigger audience. And in this movie, it seems like most of it is making fun of slang. Would you say yeah. that's accurate? I would say that's super accurate. Like she's like, I can't even believe that this is like where we are right now with slang. Yeah. Yeah, there's like two primary uses you see on the show on this movie of slang. So one of it is um, Rosie's characters trying to write the slang dialogue into the show. So an example of that, I'll, I'll read it off. This is when the first part of the show, You Go Girl, that you see. So character says, you've been dogging me all week, dog. Don't go fronting like you didn't blow all your cheddar on smoke so you could roll with Flynn and his peeps. You know he's just playing you. And then Stacy Dash says, I think you really need to step off that. And then the guy says back, just remember me and Rasha are your real blood. 
we don't have to smoke mad trees to think you all that. Right. And and it's important to know that how Jennifer delivered it is pretty close to how they deliver the lines because it's not like it's not comfortable dialogue for any of the people, which makes it extra funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that was like all satire as well. Like, yes. like I mean, that they they talk about it afterwards. We're like, did I do well? Did it feel comfortable to you? Did it feel natural? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a pretty excessive. It's pretty exaggerated use of slang. Yeah. But then the other use of slang in the movie is even more satirical because it's like Fred Willard, the president of comedy, keeps using, you know, the newest terms that he's just heard from these consultants. So he says, um, no more janky shows. Let's make this show crunk, for example. <laughs> but he would he uses them out of context a bunch. And it's it's extra funny. Fred Willard delivery is right on point. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, just like the slang, I like I feel too like I I think some of this might have been in use at least at the time like in 2005 when they were filming it, but I don't know. Like I, I do don't think, think it, was, it really was. I really don't. So even in 2005 you think all of this was like done basically? Yeah, I think yeah, and I think this is all done in satire. I really okay. do think it's all yeah. cuz it's all played like satire too. Yeah, that that is very true. Yeah. And the only like, time that it's not is when Sersha, at some point, she she says something. And her mom's like, "Wait, what is that? What do you say? What do you mean?" She's like, "Oh, oh no, yeah, ghetto." She uses the term "ghetto." Yes, yeah, I like, don't want to see that on the show, outfit. mom. Which "ghetto" is a word that we actually use is real slang, it's still used today. Yeah, but then, but this brings up an interesting point too, because Rosie like calls that out as being potentially offensive, and that's another like that is an issue that actually we still deal with, like um, about like you know what slang is okay to use, like how fast that changes and morphs and depending on who you are using it might be considered worse or better. So it's like, that's an interesting thing that's brought in too. Yeah. So True. she brings in ghetto and then Brianna at one point asks why they don't just call something gay as an offensive term while they're filming the show. And then Rosie has to point out to her that that's derogatory. So I guess we're seeing like the tail end of people using gay in that manner. Right. I don't, I don't also I also felt that that whole section was like for its time. I'm like, wow, this is really elevated because this is something you'd see in something now. But, you know, in the 2000s, you'd be like, really? Cool. All right. What's that? Uh, the the even talking about how some of this slang would be considered offensive to people. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just having that discussion. For yeah, because sure. in 2000, I don't really think people were really discussing slang as being offensive in a general population. Like they were just weren't discussing, it, especially in the movie industry. I think using gay derogatorily has been a discussion at least since the 90s because I know I was talking about that with people then, but maybe not in a super mainstream way yet for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just want to ask, like, did this, did you go girl feel like a credible sort of teen TV show, like by the year 2008 when it eventually came out? Or do you think it would have even seemed like a credible show in 2005? Or does it seem kind of dated to you? Like it seems super dated. I mean, it's definitely like a mock mocking of like Saved by the Bell, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I did. Like, I, I feel like there might be other teen shows it was mocking as well that I haven't seen. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't. I've seen a lot of teen shows, and this felt the color scheme. It's the yeah, mostly the color true. scheme felt very Saved by the Bell. But that's also similar to Clueless, the TV series and the movie too. That's so that true. could be a heckerling thing as well. It doesn't seem true. a lot like Clueless, the TV series though, from what I watched. Well, maybe, she, and that maybe that's what she was because I haven't seen Clueless, Clueless, the TV series. Maybe she was making fun of her own show. It was very meta. 
Yeah, a little, but yeah, it would be a very exaggerated version of the Clueless TV series if it was, because yeah, it didn't seem very slang reliant for one thing, but yeah. Yeah, and like around the time Heckerling was writing the movie, like some other shows that were popular were like Party of Five, Dawson's Creek, Beverly Hills 90210, still. Those are all very, none of those feel like this. And then there was like Moesha, which I haven't seen, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This also doesn't feel quite, so this feels like, this is more like a stage drama. So it's one that's not happening like outside in like a school setting. This is more like a stage drama where it kind of all happens on a set. Okay, yeah. it has a very unique feel because of that. Yeah. And then, but like, even by the time they were filming, like the popular teen shows were like the OC and like, mm-hmm. which is much more dramatic, much more based in like reality. And like what Gilmore Girls was popular then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Still more based like in, in these in the more real and less like what I consider like um, set in a studio, these like studio yeah. film dramas. And and then when the movie actually came out, the poor movie, like they were into Gossip Girl skins and Friday Night Lights and like Glee came out the next year, which, you know, is its own thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Which, which could be satired very easily. Anyway. So, so well. And satirized very easily. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we're, we're kind of thinking this is a satire of a teen show and maybe even still dated. Would, would we agree on that? Yeah, I, I yeah. do feel it was. It de- I mean, I felt that it was because it was making fun of itself that yeah. it was okay and i'm like oh that's fine it's just it's so obviously making fun of the fact that this show is so out of date and yet they're trying to keep it up to date i'm like nobody's yeah. watching this show yeah okay yeah so within the show within the movie you think they already are acknowledging that this show is dated okay yes yeah i see that but in the movie rosie talks about what she needs to make her show more current or successful and what she says she needs is a budget for wardrobe and music and like I don't know, like when you've like we, we weren't necessarily teens when we were watching some of these teen shows. But do you think wardrobe and music played a lot into like w- the appeal of the shows you watched? Or, um, or I mean, I I don't know if music did it for me. I have no idea. But I know, I mean, wardrobe can be important. I notice now as an adult, I notice wardrobe far more. But as a kid, you probably did. When I was a teen, I probably did notice wardrobe, like to decide if those people looked cool or not cool or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that could be another factor like that would keep a teen show up to date for real. And I do think like the OC had like a lot of music and that was one of my favorite teen shows. Like, I don't think I watched it for the music. I watched it for the actors, I think mainly in their chemistry. But but did you notice the music? I definitely noticed the music. I bought bought the OC soundtrack and then they had a bunch of other successful soundtracks after that. They were always getting like current bands to come on. And like play indie music. Yeah. Well, and that's the one of the things when I thought when she's like, I need a budget for music, I'm like, you don't need a budget for music, sweetie. Your job is to go out and find people who want their music to be in your show. And that's yeah. when I was like, oh, your show's failing because nobody wants to have their music in, in your show. And then, like, out of curiosity, like, what teen shows have been your favorite over the years and like what made you watch them? Um, 90210 was probably probably my favorite when I was growing up and I just like the drama of it all the drama yeah. I love coming of age stories it's like one of my things loved Dawson's Creek um, yeah we watched that one together I remember yes, love <laughs> Dawson's Creek have tried to do a rewatch of Dawson's Creek and it's it's not good it's really oh, hard to do that's really sad oh that's um, too bad I watch Gilmore Girls and I've just done a rewatch and they're still, I mean, they're dated. So sometimes you're like, cringe, but like at the same time, it's still incredibly good TV. Yeah. I haven't tried to rewatch. I definitely used to like 90210 and Dawson's Creek, like I said, but um, the OC is probably my favorite teen show of all time. And I have rewatched it. Like, I don't think it all holds up, but I think a lot of it holds up. And I think there's a lot of good acting in that show, actually. Mm -hmm. 
So that mm-hmm. really does. And they have adult characters that you actually care about their storylines, which I think can age a show. If you wa- go back and watch it when you get older, you can be like, Oh, yeah. now I kind of understand Peter Gallagher a little more. All right. So moving on from this, um, we end up with a situation where Rosie is told that she has to do a B storyline that she hadn't been planned, planning to develop about a nerdy guy who gets a makeover and she has to have an audition for this. And that's how she ends up meeting Adam, Paul Rudd's character. So he shows up after we get to see a couple bad auditions, but they weren't like such bad auditions that it actually worked as a comedy bit. Like this was no like bring it on scene no. with the bad cheerleader scene. This absolutely. was kind of a wasted opportunity in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And when Paul Rudd finally gets it, it gets the, the gig, I'm like, this is weird. I'm like, so he came in, he was the only good person and they didn't, they're like, okay, well, I guess this is the guy. I mean, his the way he is introduced, like where he does the physical comedy where he appears to disappear, suddenly be yanked away. Like that was pretty funny. But yeah, then he like changes her dialogue and doesn't read the dialogue that the other people read. And that right. could really go either way for you as an actor. Yeah, well, and that's, that's what I mean. I'm just like, I felt that, you know, he, they're like, this is the guy. And I'm like, I don't know. He clearly can't take direction. So, okay. <laughs> so what, so you wanted to talk about um, why you, about Rudd doing the movie in the first place. Like, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. It didn't really occur to me that it would be odd that he would do it. But like, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so. I just think, you know, I think probably a few of the people who did this movie did it because um, Heckerling is probably very good at her job. She probably has made really good friends. And in the movie industry, people will work with people they've worked with before if they like them. It's just as simple yeah. as that. You call up your friend. You're like, hey, Paul, I'm doing this movie. Will you be in it? And he looks at your script. He's like, sure, I'll, I'll do this film where I say, usually I wouldn't. And mm-hmm. I think that he did this movie and he thought he was just going to have a really good time. And he did it at a friendship. Yeah. And and then you asked, you wanted to ask, was he well cast? Like for me, the answer is yes. Like I like him in this role. I like him with Michelle Pfeiffer. There's definitely the, 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 the conceit in this movie is that all the actors in the show within the movie are too old for their parts. Like there's even part where Stacey Dash is joking about having to act 16 when she was already kind of old to be doing Clueless. Yes. Yes, Everybody's like 30 years old. It feels like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I actually felt that Rudd was was perfectly fine. He was like he was a he was well cast in the sense that he he can be in anything. I think Rudd is a very versatile actor, but yeah. and he has good chemistry in a certain way with Pfeiffer. But I felt that it was more of a friendship between them. Okay. So that I didn't know if it was well cast between them. I couldn't tell. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. We'll get into more about their chemistry, what we think about it as we progress through this relationship. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So in the sh- in the world of the movie, um, Adam quickly becomes a success on the show, um, partly due co- to his physical comedy and his improv. But Brianna's getting annoyed with him because he's not just sticking to the lines, and he's maybe over like upstaging her. I think it's probably yeah. one of the factors. Yeah. Well, also I think that she's she's played as like not particularly smart or creative, and so asking her to like on the fly do something when she's like, yeah. listen, I come here, I read lines, I go home, whatever. But she doesn't seem like a bitch or a jerk. No, she's not a bitch, but she's like, this is my, like, I have a job. This is my job to do it. And you're just messing with my job. Yeah. 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 I didn't get a negative feeling about that character though, which I appreciated. Like, yeah, that they weren't begging on her for being a diva or something. She just seemed like. like, I think she was a little bit of a diva, but the right amount of like, I'm an actress in a TV show diva. Yeah. And it's her show basically. Exactly. She is the girl that is going, I think. (laughs) She is the Yugo girl. You absolutely are correct. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. 
Um, let's see. So Adam is interested in Rosie. Um, he asks her to go out to a show, like at a club. And that was a really weird scene. Like yeah. I thought it was I thought it was interesting how like Rosie's going into the club and imagining people talking shit about her, like having thoughts about her being too old. Like I haven't experienced that a lot myself because I don't usually put myself in those positions, but I can imagine feeling awkward and maybe theoretically if I went to a club that was like all much younger people. I don't so know. This- this is a scene that I was confused about. So I'm I'm watching it and I'm like, are these people really looking at you like this? Or is now are we now in the land of like I'm seeing it from your perspective? Because there's no change in lighting, there's no change in fi- camera angles. Mm-hmm. There's no like I couldn't tell. And this is the same problem I had when they were using Tracy Ullman, is that we didn't have any change that I could tell that we were now like doing like inner her voice, like inner yeah. inner mind voice. I mean, I got that. I got that impression, but I can see what you're saying at the same time. Yeah. There weren't like good transitions to that type of thing happening. Yeah. Yeah. But then like the, the really awkward part of this show, this scene for me though, is like when he asks her to dance and she doesn't really want to dance. So he goes and dances and he puts on like this ridiculous like dance show basically where he's like doing all these different styles of dances. He steals some guy's cowboy hat at one point. He's like doing like a, a cartoon heartbeat at a different point. He's doing all kinds of weird shit. Like, like if a guy actually took me out on a date and did this like one man dance show, disrupting an entire dance club, that would not be like, Oh yes, this is the one for me. I don't know. I also think that if I saw that, I'd be like, this guy is high as a kite right now. <laughs> He's on. St- Cause like, I looked at that and I'm like, in reality, I'm like, that guy is on so many drugs. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> That wouldn't have occurred to me, but I would just like think like, this guy is like, I would be like, he's high on his own shit. That's what I'd be like. <laughs> like he thinks he's really this important that he should be like disrupting everybody's like dance space, taking a guy's hat, taking something off the stage. I'd be like, nope, too much. Too yeah, much. No, the scene was weird. Like, but, And this is one of the things when I talk about like, I'm not, I, I don't see them together. I'm like, she is so like down to earth and a person and a mom. And he's like, so weird. He is pretty weird, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, don't see know. him as an adult. I think that that's what the scene's about. It's supposed to be showing that like he he can still like cut loose and be funny and he's not yeah. he doesn't care what other people think of him. That's what we're supposed to think the scene's about. But really you just are like what is happening right now? Yeah, it was definitely awkward. I feel like I wonder if Rudd just wanted to do a bunch of like if or Heckerling just said, Hey, do some dances, and Rudd just did some funny dances, and Heckerling liked it and was like, All right, we'll leave it in. I could believe I that as well. <laughs> yeah. And because you see that it's clipped on YouTube, like obviously Paul Rudd fans enjoy watching it. So I don't well, know. By itself, it's great, but like in the plot line, you're like, yeah, What is yeah, this about? Yeah, and no, yeah. I'm leaving this guy, I'm going out the back. Yeah. Well, but instead she stays with him, and then after the show, they're in his car, and after like rejecting a number of perfectly good cds to play a very strange old-fashioned song like you've got a friend in me or something right i don't know they start making out because that nothing like what has just happened up to this point gives me sexy vibes (laughs) that's true okay it's true like i wasn't when i think about it i wasn't sold on them together in a relationship really until after they'd been in the relationship in in the in the movie plot so yeah They didn't sell the lead up very well. I agree with you on that. But as somebody involved in creating a show, if you have an actor that's really talented, I could see you being kind of attracted to that. You know their talent. 
right. and seeing him at work. Like I could see that part of it, but right. And yeah. then she like talks to him and he's a nice guy, but yeah. like that nothing about that made me think, oh, they're going to get together. I'm just like, oh, she likes him as a person. Yeah. And is interested in him. He seems cool. Cause also he is so much younger than she is that there is a point of where you look at it and you're like, does she look at him and think to herself that dude's super hot? Cause he's also not like showing off that he's like physically attractive or anything. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what she was into. Well, he's definitely hotter than John Lovitz. I'll oh, say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My husband's like, would she really be with John Lovitz? And I'm like, yeah, no. maybe, but I don't know. Not <laughs> if John Lovitz doesn't have money. No. Well, he probably did have money. I don't know. Even though he still steals the welcome back Cotter game. <laughs> and, and, a, and a vase. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So um, just we mentioned the age gap. So I just wanted to actually say what the age gap was supposed to be. So in the movie, Pfeiffer is supposed to be 40. Although at one point, Jeannie refers to her as 45. But I'm going to trust Pfeiffer. Or I'm going to trust like Rosie on her age, not Jeannie. Yeah, no, she but- was just trying to like punk her and make her like seem like r- really old, which quite frankly, yeah. she's making her look real hot for 45. So <laughs> so so the character's supposed to be 40, her character, and then he's supposed to be 29. So that's only an 11 year age difference, which yeah, to me like doesn't nothing. seem like a big deal. But their, their actual ages when making the movie, um, Michelle Pfeiffer was 47 and Paul Rudd was 36. So, yeah, Paul Rudd always looks younger than he is, basically. Okay, so the, after they, they've briefly been together and Adam is beginning to test well, his character on the show is testing really well. So Rosie writes an arc for him, a couple more screenplays with him in them. But then she breaks up with him because of their age difference. And, like, I don't – it wasn't really sold well about why she it, broke up with him. Nope. It's not sold at all. She doesn't have any – once again, because she's not – because she there's nothing in her her dialogue and we haven't seen any scenes with her where she's sitting around stressing about her looks, her age. You know, all the only time we've seen her be like, he seems kind of young. Yeah. You know? We, I, I don't I don't believe that she'd just be like, I can't be with you because you're so young. If he had done something, maybe it was that dance. She was like, I'm out. <laughs> maybe – I. And, or maybe we could conceive of Mother Nature as actually the voice in her head or something. Oh, like, okay. Well, maybe. And like, and like, and like, all Mother Nature is really just a projection of her, which takes this movie to an even more disturbing level. But, um, <laughs> and so when she's bothering her about fertility and stuff like that, and he's going to want to have kids, it's really her own thoughts. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe I mean, that's what. Then that makes a lot more sense to me. By the way, I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot more sense. If that is supposed to be her, Mother Nature, is supposed to be her inner voice and her inner dialogue, then. I understand what's happening a little bit better. <laughs> but we don't know. <laughs> no, because there's a voiceover before we even meet her. Yep, that's true. That's also true. Okay. So how yeah. am I listening to some, you know, voice of Mother Nature when I don't even have Rosie around? Oh, I love I love messy movies. I love them. <laughs> I just love breaking them down and trying to figure them out. It's fun. Agreed, I don't know why. agreed. Okay, so while they are sort of broken up, Adam starts sending her a series of presents, which I don't know how a struggling new actor could afford. But then Jeannie promptly steals all the presents, which like also like how would they not notice? How would they not figure out eventually that all those things have been stolen? I don't know. I don't know either. And then he puts like reminders of himself, like photos like up on her computer and like her blinds, which that part's a little stalkery to me. I don't know. That's the only part that I thought was funny. I was like, "Oh, you this like that?" So funny. Okay. I'm like, "This, I believed that he would do." I'm like, okay. "Because he's 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 hardcore." He's like, "Just notice me, girl. Just notice me." Okay, okay. 
I did like I do like the scene where they get back together though. So this is what sold me on their relationship, I think. There's like a watch party at Rosie's house for an episode of You Go Girl, and everyone from the cast and crew pretty much is gathered at uh, Rosie's house. And they're watching like Adam's scenes like on on the show. And like you see Rosie looking over at Adam and he's looking over at her and they have kind of like loving glances in their eyes. And like that sold it for me. I I just I I felt that I was smiling. I don't know. What about you? Were you just like indifferent? Yeah, for me, nothing. The relationship hadn't been built enough. That I so that's one of the things that I was having trouble with this movie. There's so much extraneous stuff that's beyond the their romance. If their romance yeah. is the core, I needed more romance. Everything should be done in this movie to advance the plot of their romance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So nothing, nothing else that happens is supposed to be doing anything but moving that romance them towards each other, them away from each other, and then back towards each other again. Yeah, and there's all this other garbage that's just so I'm like, oh look, they're they're looking at each other. When did they even hang out last? As far as I know, she's just been avoiding him. Well, working on the show, I guess she'd have to see him sometimes. But, but we didn't see any of that. So therefore, I have no chemistry. I, a I don't bit. feel any feelings about them. Okay. Okay. You think it needed a slower build and more time together, probably? Absolutely. I needed okay. more time with them and like to know what they're both thinking. Like I needed to right. know, like, it wasn't just like, love at first sight. And now yeah. we're like together, except and that also- we are age gapped. And more about him too, probably. I didn't really get yeah. a sense of his character as a full character. Like I'll agreed too. Yeah. Well, anyway, after the show, everybody's cleared out except for Adam and her, and she sits up on her couch, like all seductive looking, and says that they're alone in the house. And then Adam says, "Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me." And she says, "Would you like me to seduce you?" And he says, "Yes." <laughs> And it's kind of like, um, it's a little sexy, but then it gets goofy very quickly. Yes. And they start making out, but then she like, what, silly strings him or something? And yep. he throws Some, popcorn Something like that, because, you know, we can't, because once again, they're not in love, they're friends who happen to make I, out. I, 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 I liked it. I don't know. <laughs> I liked, I was smiling this whole time. I was smiling from the time they were gazing at each other in the party, through the goofiness, through the montage that follows of them, like, doing various things together, like making out, jumping on the bed. Um, he'd taken sexy pictures of her on his phone, the whole thing. Like it worked for me. Okay. I don't know. I, I guess like I, I can see that kind of like it's sexy to laugh kind of a relationship. It is sexy. It is sexy to laugh. It's sexy to be funny. It's sexy to laugh. I think that this would have sold me better if they had known each other, even if somebody had said they'd known each other in the past. Hmm. So they had some kind of like previous history together. Yeah. Then I would have been like, oh, so they kind of knew each other. They like each other. They already knew each other. And now they're just kind of restarting up and rekindling something that might not have happened before. You you just want more building blocks. You want Yeah, I just, don't, I just don't believe in it. I'm just like, whatever, guys. You guys are two friends <laughs> hanging out because you have to apparently because the script says that. Okay, it's fine. Okay, all right. Um, I'm just amused. I'm. I like. I like having when we have disagreements because I think it makes a good podcast. But like, I'm amused by the level of disagreement sometimes. All right, cool. It'll be interesting to see what other people think. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Please send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com or just comment on one of the episodes. We'd like to hear what you think of this movie as a whole. What what worked for you and their chemistry for sure. Absolutely. And okay, then they're they're pretty happy, but Jeannie tries to sabotage the relationship. I think partly because she was trying to hit on Adam and he turned her down several I, times. I honestly think that what it really is is that she's just a really unhappy person and wants to try to destroy Michelle Pfeiffer's or Rosie's life. 
So what she does is we've seen her before using kind of like a Photoshop program, similar program, uh, making ugly looking pictures of Brianna or whatever, like just a joke. And then she she uses photo stuff again, like not Photoshop this time, but she takes a she gets a hold of Adam's phone because he it was left on set. And he uses Adam's phone to take a picture of a screenshot of Brianna looking sexy so that like when Rosie eventually sees the phone, she'll think that he was going out with Brianna, I guess. Yeah. And, and she's cool. and she seeded this idea into her head because apparently Rosie is so stupid that she believes and trusts her assistant. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little hard to believe. Yeah. yeah and it's obvious this chick is a capital B and she should be fired. And there's this, oh yeah, there's this other incident too, where Jeannie tells Adam to go flirt with Brianna because Rosie wants him to. So, right. yeah. To that, smooth things over, to make like, because she sets her up as like, she's this this uh, diva who just needs to be like noticed all the time. Therefore, she needs yeah. to be flirted with. And then Rosie overhears this like, I don't know, vaguely flirtatious conversation. It's not very flirtatious. It was well, so what, not, for, it's yeah, no more flirtatious yeah. than them hanging out and having silly string. But one thing I did like about it is they don't show Rosie overreacting to these yeah. first these first gambits on Jeannie's part. She's just like, oh, like, I'm not going to listen into this guy. It's none of my business. And then when she sees, she ends up seeing the phone and like, she's like, well, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's find out like what's actually going on. Yeah. And so I really like that, that they don't make the woman like super jealous, flying off the handle kind of shit like that, you know? I agree. That's one of the parts I did like. I like how, you know, just normal, you would react in something like this, be like, well, you know what? I don't know what I saw. That might not be like, I mean, I might have these feelings about it, but they're not true. You know, I was sad that she didn't just talk to him because she seems like a person who would have just actually had a conversation. Oh, so you mean like the way she finds out about the photo is like, she gives him the phone and he sees the phone and right away his reaction is like, oh, who put this picture here? But that's a really good way to make sure that he's not lying to at the same time. Like he just has an honest reaction to it. And right. Like, absolutely. But, and you know, and I like that it's a funny line where she's like, he's not that good of an actor. Yeah. I know. yeah. You know, but it also could have been like one, if she had just been like, so I got sent this and I think it was supposed to make me jealous, you know, and I yeah. was a little, once again, you could have built a relationship a little more. I was kind of a little bit. But should I be? And they could have had a, a, like a small car. He's like, girl, I think you're awesome. You're the best, whatever. And I don't even know what's going on in this photo. So we've already talked about older woman, younger man relationships in our episode on how Stella got her groove back. And if that's a topic that interests you, I definitely recommend watching that movie and listening to that episode. It was We had a really interesting discussion. And um, yeah, we already talked about the age gap in this movie. It's considerably less of an age gap than the one in Stella. So, I mean, that's one factor that makes these two stories very different. And in Stella, it's also a cross-cultural relationship, which is another factor that complicates the relationship in that movie. Have you seen Stella, by the way? I'm curious. Just... Yeah, I've seen Stella. Okay, yeah, cool. I have. Cool, cool. And I really um, liked it. It was. I think it's a really good movie, and it was especially great at the time that it came out. Okay, so um, what do you think about the portrayal of the age gap in, in this movie? Do you think it's like a realistic uh, portrayal? Um, I felt, so there are a couple of things that I had trouble with the age gap in this movie. Obviously, first of all, obviously, our two characters don't actually look that far apart age-wise. No, and they aren't really that far Right. Apart. So I, I was a little bit like, I don't know. And then because no one else really cared about the age gap, like it's not like anyone else said anything, really. I, I didn't care even a little bit. It wasn't like a thing. It was only in her mind that this was a big deal. And Mother Nature, possibly her imaginary friend. Yeah. Right. You know, but I just felt that it was, it was 
a, it was like a non, it was a nonsense piece that was like being very forced. I felt it was forced mm. upon me that this, this was the thing that was going to break up our hero and heroine, their age gap. Yeah, like, like, why? Yeah. Like in Stella, like all her family, most of her family and friends are at least making comments about it. Maybe, right. maybe some of them accept it more than others, but there's definitely people in her life who she cares about that aren't sure about it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's sold a little more. Um, yeah, that's another reason that having Tracy Ullman play a best friend might have been more effective or a, a, another character who she's close to. Yeah, yeah I, I, th- I think that would have been a really good idea. Somebody should have talked to you, Jen. <laughs> no, I'll let Heckerlein handle her business. It's okay. <laughs> um, I also, one of the things that I did want to say, say that I liked about this film is I, although I felt that there was a lot of other stuff going on that took away from the romance, I did like how she had a life that was not just about her. Like, I'm, I'm trying to be with a person. Yeah. She was like a person who's like, I might be dating a person. I might not be. I'm still, I'm still a successful woman either way. Yeah. Yeah, she's got her whole work life and her family life that she's also attending to, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then, like, um, on our show about Stella, we kind of talked about what's our stance on, like, age gap romances. Like, so what's your personal, like, feeling about them? Yeah, I'm, I don't really care. I think age is just a number. I don't think it really matters. I've seen relationships uh, for people who are 25 years apart. I've seen them revitalize people when they date, when women date younger men. And that helps them get through like bad divorces. And I know when I was younger, I dated older men. And now that I'm older, I, I, I'm with a younger man. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Like I haven't like been in super long age gap romances of any type, but I've definitely been interested in both younger and older people. And I'm, I'm pretty open-minded, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think you should judge individual relationships based on how they're doing individually you know, and people mature at different rates. People are at different stages in their life. Like you might have a 40 year old woman who's just gone back to college. You might have a 24 year old person who has their own company and been through the military. You might, you Mm -hmm. have all kinds of different people in different stages. And it's not really my business to police whether they should be together or not. As long as everyone's the age of consent, I'm not worried. That is what I was about to say. As long as everyone is in, they have enough cognitive recognition and they're of consenting age that they are making good choices for themselves. It doesn't really matter the age. Yeah. Well, we have a, we, we agree on st- something now. So <laughs> <laughs> the big things in life. <laughs> so, and then like, in terms of this movie, like, like we said, we, like Sybil was mentioning, we don't really see what the problem actually is between these two characters. The movie kind of brings up mostly via the mother nature character. Like what are some problems they could have in their relationship? Like fertility. What if this guy wants to have a baby, the possibility he could be using like Rosie for her position to advance his acting career or like um, their different, you know, social statuses, et cetera. They're brought up, but they're just kind of put down again, basically. Right. Like right. and we don't see anything yeah. around that, so we don't see anything that he's done. Also, they—I don't know how long of a space this, like, time span this is supposed to take place. Oh, of, totally, totally. But it seemed like also these are a lot of questions. You'd be, why are you asking me? These are really deep questions right now when you're just starting up a relationship. That's true. That's also true. Yeah. Like, um, what do you think? Like, if these two characters were to get together in real life, like, what do you think would be their biggest challenge for their relationship? Um, like, I actually think that the biggest challenge would just be that she has a kid because they barely even talk about that, by the way. That's true. That's true. 
He is plays it, like he plays like that video game she's playing Apes Escape with her like one time. Right, right. That's what you see. But I think the biggest issue would be that she has a kid and that she is therefore like in just emotionally a different place than he is. Yeah. Because she has a child. But that's for what I see the only thing that I see. Yeah, and then maybe like you don't want to introduce just anybody to your kid too, like exactly. if you're dating. Yeah, that's yeah, that issue isn't really brought up. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, and that brings us to actually, this is like a, a rom-com where you have like a very strong parent and kid um, element to the story. Um, and there's also a kid's romance, which mm. I'm not a big fan of the kid's romance in movies. Like if maybe if it's like the topic of the whole movie and there's other stuff going on, but like the, when there's like a rom-com, like in Love Actually, like, you know, with like Liam Neeson's son and all that yeah. stuff, like don't like it. Not a fan. Like any kid, ro- any kid romance. I'm just, uh, and maybe it's because so many times these kid romances are based on like nothing at all. Like in this movie, Izzy like likes this guy Dylan, who really seems kind of like a dweeb to me. I don't know. Okay. Um, what? So what? I love all the things you just said. Are the exact same feelings I have about pretty much Rudd and Pfeiffer's characters <laughs> and their relationship. I don't, but like, but okay, but compare them that then to Izzy and Dylan, like, like I that's actually even thought less. that it was supposed to mirror that. That's what I thought. This really, I'm like, oh, we're just mirroring this idea. Okay, but Dylan's a jerk though, too. Like he comes <laughs> to the show watching party, like, I don't, and then he, I don't he's really Dylan... just there to like, he's really just there to like take a picture with Brianna. He's not even there to be with Izzy, and it like hurts I, her feelings. But I stuff. don't see this is the thing. I don't actually think that Dylan is a jerk. I think that he's just a he's just a, a you know a kid who like. He doesn't know like what he's supposed to be doing yet. Talk to Red when he was that age. That's probably who he was. But I mean, Izzy's nice and she's a kid. Well, but too. she's a female and therefore, uh, you know, more I thoughtful. Know. I think guys can be ca- capable of being thoughtful. I mean, my brother was really sweet at that age. So I don't know. I don't well, know. I mean, Dylan is definitely a guy who's going to take you out to a club and do some weird dancing. <laughs> so that people look at him. 100%. You're right about that. You're right so about I, that. So I, I really did. I was just like, oh, okay. F- obviously, I didn't actually think of Dylan as a jerk. I just thought of him as like an immature kid that Izzy's probably way too mature for. But she yeah. needs to have a dude like Dylan in her life at some point so she can learn that like, you're not going to change a guy. And the reasons that you like guys, maybe not, maybe it's not just because they look cute. Yeah, I didn't even think he was cute. So Dylan was oh, a total she's, fail she's for me. Certainly did. Yeah, he was a fail for me though. I was just like, no, no. I get why? it. I get it. Why I is totally he? get that. I think she even mentions that he's funny, and you're like, he's not funny. Because and I love that it's like the mom sitting there being like this guy, whatever. But she totally helps her daughter get the guy who's kind of a loser. Yeah, she does. She does. Yeah, she's and a good then- mom. So, like, in addition to this romance with Dylan, like, we've got other Izzy storylines, like, uh, she's getting her period, so she's coming of age, she's asking her mom about sex, um, and she doesn't want to play with the Barbies anymore, she says at a certain point, and you see this scene where there's, like, pile of naked Barbies, like, all piled up, (laughs) and she said, she said, we have to put clothes on them, it looks like the Holocaust, and, like... (laughs) It's a t- it's like a, it's a really like brash line, but I have to admit that like once I had my Barbies like that when I and I was like, oh, this look this does look like a concentration camp. Like, yeah, no. Also, why? Okay, I'm gonna ask who has their Barbies just sitting around just all naked. Why would you ever do that? Um, I did that. Why did I do that once? Like, well, she's doing it because she's giving getting rid of the Barbies and maybe but she's they have selling- clothes. Put the clothes back on them. People want the Barbies with the clothes on them. Well, maybe she's selling them separately. I don't know. 
Like yeah, I was, I was really disturbed. I was like, why? First of all, why does she have so many Barbies? Jesus. I had other- that many. I had more Barbies than that. I'm not even kidding. I had like, oh, God. Another- so I totally related because I've had the pile of naked Barbies lying around before. <laughs> Like I don't I don't remember why I did it though cuz I tried I, I didn't get rid of mine at that I time. I take the whole section back then. I was just not something I understood at all cuz I was like I don't understand this. I had like <laughs> four Barbies. I loved my Barbies. I took excellent care of them. And I kept them all clothed and when I gave them to when I gave them away to somebody their hair was perfect. That is great. That is my my mine had cut up hair. Like some of them had like in the movie I noticed some of them had weird makeup. I had that on a few, yeah. I'm sure. And then yeah, the clothes came off sometimes. Like I, I probably just like I don't I probably did a fresh start sometimes where I just wanted to redress them all anew or something. I don't know. Weird thing ideas I had. But like that image completely I was like, Oh yeah, my childhood. I hundred percent. Yeah. The things we get to learn. <laughs> Okay. Oh, and then we have another strange element in this movie, Izzy's parody songs. So I have my first clip that I'm going to play. I haven't played a clip yet. I'm amazed. Anyway, um, Izzy makes these like parody songs of popular songs, and we're going to play you a clip of one of them right now. I got a career by shaking my rear and making guys weird. Oh, baby, baby. I have to admit, I've had that in my head for like a couple days now. I mean, so I I appreciated these points. They made no sense to me. I don't know why they're there. I enjoyed them. But this one particularly, because of everything that's going on with the Free Britney stuff, I was so disturbed by. I was like, oh, we had the concentration camp Barbies. And now we have a song about... We have, we have the song about um, poor Britney Spears. And I'm like, you can tell like just like how old this movie f- is feeling to me. Yeah, but even like, okay. And I, I just noticed, I looked up when Oops, I Did It Again actually came out. It was a song from 2000. So would a kid in 2005 when they were like yes. filming this be using that as their parody song? Much yes, less they, 2008? They probably would. It was still okay. so popular. It's still popular. You can still hear yeah. it. She's so popular. She's like timeless. Well, anyway, she does, Izzy does these parody songs. And like this one obviously was like, I mean, kind of slut shaming Britney there a little bit. Yeah, a lot of slut slut shaming. We called somebody a whore. Yeah. And then her other songs, like she has a series of songs she does to Alanis Morissette's Ironic. And the topics she covers in these parodies include eating disorders, climate change, President Bush, Michael Jackson child abuse allegations. So it's like, they're all over the place. It's like, I feel like these are just shit that Heckerling wanted to talk about and she didn't have a place to put it. She's like, I'll put it in these parody songs. I agree. I a hundred percent agree. Like I said, these songs don't make any sense Mm -hmm. in the context of this, of this movie. And yet I still enjoyed them. I enjoyed them (laughs) a lot. (laughs) I mean, Saoirse Ronan sang and performed them pretty well. Like I'll get, I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then they, once again, they didn't like progress anything along when she finally like has a scene at the end um, where yeah, she's don't, like, don't actually, spoil it. Don't spoil oh, okay, it. Okay, we're not spoiling yeah, things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about it at the end, but like, yeah, this is just another element that is interspersed throughout this film. Yes. All right. <laughs> okay, and then um, before we get to the spoiler section, I just want to. I'm playing all my clips in a row. I shouldn't have done this. Well, anyway, too bad. <laughs> We've got another, this is my personal favorite um, scene in the film. So ro- the context for this is Rosie has been called to meet with the president of comedy and she's in the lobby and she overhears a couple guys talking. We'll be with you in a minute. Courtney Love. 
Drugged out hag. Faye Dunaway? Don't call us, we'll call Sharon you. Sharon Stone? Hag. Gina Davis? Hag. Sigourney Weaver? Hag. Kim Bassinger? Hag. Emma Thompson? Brit Hag. Susan Sarandon? Red State Alienating Hag. Meg Ryan? Too much plastic surgery. Melanie Griffith? Way too much plastic surgery. Patricia Heaton? Pointless plastic surgery. Cher? Insurmountable amount of plastic surgery. Listen, you little bird of a man. Where do you come off insulting these women? How many hit songs did you sing? How many Oscars do you have? Could you look cute next to Warren Beatty or live with Don Johnson or act with Ted Danson? You're not worthy of kissing Cher's tattooed ass. He'll see you now. I think that's my favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah. I feel like it's like a little bit that just like needed to be said. Like, mm. if in case the listeners had a hard time hearing what these guys are saying, they're just listing off the actors and the other guy goes, hag, like, hag. He's just dismissing them one by one, like the greatest actors, like kind of of their generation. And yeah, well, I mean, Meryl Streep's not in there, but I'm sure yeah. they call her a hag too. They definitely call her a hag. They definitely call her a hag. Like, did that scene stick out at all to you or is it just um, kind of... You know, it, it didn't because I was just like, I mean, this is this is 100% real to me. This is exactly what would happen. And I, this is how often men, especially industry men, just dismiss women. And so I felt I felt heckerling definitely coming through here afterwards where I was like, oh, man, she had a statement to make. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, I it was a strong scene for me, though. I just I also like it shows that Rosie's like really fed up with it. And she's like got a she's not afraid to stand up for herself. Mm -hmm. And I like that. And then. We're going to now go into the spoiler section so we can tell you what happens next. So <laughs> the spoiler section begins now. If you've not seen this movie, I, I saw it on Amazon. So I believe it's available there. You could check it out and then come back and rejoin us. Okay, so now we're in the spoiler section. So after she's told off these guys in the lobby, she goes into the office of Fred Willard and she finds out that You Go Girl is being canceled to make way for a new show starring Adam called the shizzle. The shizzle. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. And um, after this meeting, um, she also has received this like DMV notification, supposedly, with a picture of Adam driving with Brianna, like leaning on her shoulder, leaning on his shoulder. And we, the audience, know that Jeannie, the evil secretary, has produced this. But she does not know this. We do know that, right? Yeah, we see her making it. Yeah, we see her that she's doing it. And you're like, oh, of course, she's the devil. Okay, this is what's yeah. going to happen. And then Rosie, like, feels like just too much stuff has, like, piled up. Like, he's done. he's gotten this show without telling her about it. Um, like, she's gotten this DMV notice. There was that previous thing with the fo photo on his phone. And so she is having serious doubts and they get into a fight. Man, I really have loaded all the clips in one place. Sorry, audience. All the clips are here. But here's <laughs> here here's a clip of that like fight that they get into. And then Nathan, the ex-husband, shows up. That. It's not what I heard. I knew this would happen. You're a big shot. You're on TV. So you you have you you want to get back at all the females who didn't appreciate you in high school. So oh. you have to get all the cute young girls you possibly can. I don't want cute young girls. I want you. All you know right, I mean. get out. I am too old for these high school dramatics. You're the one that's acting adolescent. Hey, now you two kids getting along. Oh, God. Please tell me you're wearing shorts under that. Yes, but they're just cut really high. Anyway, besides, I've got good legs and a great butt. 
Yeah, well, you know, that's what everyone says. There's Nathan. What an ass. Uh, hey, uh, don't let me interrupt. He was just leaving. No, I wasn't. Get out. We are done with this discussion! You can tell when she's really angry. Her voice gets all high and squeaky. Yeah. Look, I'll admit, something sketchy's going on. I've never even been in a car with Brianna. But if you don't believe me, we've got serious trust issues. Exactly. I always said that. What has this got to do with you? Only everything. This is the first guy you've dated in ten years I can actually hang out with. And I do not want you making the same mistakes with him that you made with me. I am trying to be Bruce Willisy. <laughs> Which is weird, because I'm trying to be Ashton. <laughs> Which in turn would make her uh, demi -y. Yeah, or Demi. Or De no, I think Dan. Well, I want to say Demi, but I, I actually don't know. matter what. Yeah, I think it's Demi. I, well, she nice? Yeah, she's very nice, but I think she says Demi. She, well, I don't think she cares, actually. But Demi, what I are you two what... idiots talking about? I am not Demi. You are not Ashton, and you are definitely not Bruce Willis. See how high it gets? Yeah. After my bachelor party, only dogs could hear her. What do, what do you think of that scene? I personally like scene. I'll say that I personally like scenes where ex-husbands stand up for the new guy that you want her to get together. I with. actually really liked this scene. I was like, you know what? This scene was uh, the most realistic, probably like fights breakup scene from like this kind of couple. And I really did like how the ex, you know, was like, hey, I used to be with this person. We still have a good relationship. She's great. Like that's that's essentially the tone. And I really did appreciate that. Yeah, and I like I like when the the ex gets along with the new guy. This happens in Stella too. Like the mm -hmm. Winston meets her ex in that one too. And yeah, I, I like that dynamic. I should have looked up when the Demi Ashton Bruce Willis thing was going on. Like I can't remember. Oh, I don't know I at all. Yeah, yeah, but that does seem a little dated now too. Like in my opinion, like that was a while ago. Yeah, but. <laughs> I do like when she's like, and you are definitely not Bruce Willis. Yeah, though. That, I made, that made me laugh again while we were doing this. Like, yep, you are definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> ah, John Lovitz. Um, yeah. And so they're broken up and the show is being dismantled. There's this whole montage to the song Alone Again Naturally by Gilbert O'Sullivan, which is kind of an older song. But I love that song, to be honest. Yeah. It was a good fit. It's a good fit there. The soundtrack is pretty random, though, which we yeah. may talk about later or not. But yeah, pretty random. But um, yeah, the show's being dismantled. Um, and then Adam finds out that Rosie isn't working on the new show, The Shizzle. And he demands that she be involved or he won't work. Apparently, he believed that the agreement was that everybody from You Go Girl was going to be on The Shizzle. And they only brought over a couple of trendy writers, Jeannie, this evil secretary. Yep, and him. Yeah. Yeah. And so Rosie is then given an offer to work on the show. She in initially refuses it. Um, and then I'm a little, I haven't, I'm not sure if I have the plot order in complete order here, but she eventually agrees to participate if they get rid of Jeannie. And she tells this right. to Fred Willard while he, she's in his office. And then Jeannie emerges from under like the desk. Where well, so this this scene is actually done really well because what happens is you you walk in and, he, and Fred Willard sells this so well he gets up and he's super uncomfortable as he's tucking his shirt back into his pants yeah and you're oh, like yeah. what the hell was just going on there and so when she pops up you're like ah okay well that's what was going on there yeah it's very subtle though yeah it's very subtle he sells it so well yeah and so he he agrees to get rid of her and she's like Janie's super angry and um. Jeannie and Rosie have like this brief, like kind of hair pulling cat fight, like literal hair is pulled. Like, well, I mean, not literal, like in the world of reality, but in the world of the movie. Right. And, yeah. and, um, uh, Jeannie goes, you dried old, you dried out old bitch. 
And then Rosie says, I'm sure you could get your old cornerback on Hollywood Boulevard. Some serious like cat fight like. uh... Yes, this is some serious shade that has been thrown. But once again, we have these overtones of kind of like, you know, slut shaming. Yeah, 100%. You're like, okay, all right. Now with with you know, this she did just catch her giving a blowjob, potentially, probably, to the president of comedy, so that she could probably make her way, you know, up in the world. This is also the like today, this would not play at all because it's like a me too situation too. Yeah. Like you could make the argument that he's like using these women, you know, in right. his company. Yeah. So it's like a very awkward scene in certain ways. Like it's very, the time it was made, it's perfectly normal scene, I think, but now yes. it'd be a little bit like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But now it's one of those scenes that gets really aged and you're like, Ooh, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. And like, Rosie kind of wins the fight in that she's the one who gets her way and she's holding a hunk of Jeannie's hair. And then, and but then like Fred Willard's character says, wow, that was fun. Like, right? and it's like, yeah. And you're like, wow, this is really super uncomfortable now. Ugh. It's like these women disempowering each other just totally plays into men being in charge of things in a way. I feel yeah. like is the message that was trying to be shown there. I don't know. Maybe it's not I'm hoping that, that that was the message and it wasn't just this was going to be a scene. This is how we're going to move the plot forward. Yeah. I feel like there's an element of that, like a critique of like, like when women tear each other down, guys are just sitting there enjoying the show. Like it's right. fun for them. Yeah. Okay. So then Rosie finally puts together also that her evil secretary, Jeannie, um, has been photoshopping images to create the fake pictures with Adam in them. Like she puts this together because she sees that Brianna was filming at the time that the supposed DMV photo was taken. And then she remembers times in the movie where she saw Jeannie showing off her Photoshop. And I'm like, how would she have not put that together sooner for me? But like, it doesn't, it, isn't, it, doesn't, it, isn't this actually spawned by the idea that Izzy has to tell her? Oh, yeah, that's right. Because Izzy, Izzy's the one who's like, girl, mom, do you understand that like, she's horrible and she's been do- probably doing this she's passive like, aggressive or something yeah yeah, yeah. and she yeah. and that's when she's like oh my god and she's like all these once again she has like she we, we see into her mind where she like sees all this stuff that happens where yeah. this would be the time where i would expect mother nature to come and talk which is why i'm so confused <laughs> yep 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 <laughs> so confused so we get, nonetheless, we get a happy ending. Rosie is back working on the, the new show, The Shizzle. Um, uh, Rosie and Adam get back together. The last scene we have is set at Izzy's school t- talent show. And Dylan is the MC. His main contribution seems to be saying, I'm Dylan and I'm an alcoholic. Yes. <laughs> and wearing a fedora. Yeah. Yep. And and then Izzy, like as you mentioned, like Izzy then gets a chance to sing one of her many parody songs. Yeah. And and you at this point I'm like oh okay so we get to see a, one of these parody songs this is why we had the parody songs so we could get them you know our our little teens together oh, okay all right yeah because Dylan's really impressed by her um, isn't it moronic cover of ironic where she talks about President Bush and climate change and Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch that's that's right that's right just like all the things. And then in the audience, like Rosie's like ecstatic and clapping and like John Lovitz keeps saying, that's my daughter. And yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a weird scene, but like I, at this point, when you talk about like smiling, I smiled and was like, good. good okay, on everyone. okay. Okay. All right. All right. And then Rosie's like watching Izzy, like getting together with Dylan and 
She's talking about how nothing that she accomplishes can compare to how she feels when Izzy is successful. And then Mother Nature and her are like having a conversation, basically. And Mother right. Nature's like, I designed it that way. Like, so that when one generation gives way to the next and like, this is what you're making room for, basically, which is, I guess, kind of trying to wrap up all the threads of this movie together. Yeah. So I, I was, I was like, you know, this is, this is okay. Like I'm okay for this ending, I guess. And then mother nature showed up. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) I thought we were done with her because it was better without you. Poor mother nature. Yeah. So, so not right in this movie. And then like, but even then it doesn't get tied up completely neatly because then Rosie says she still wants to do fun things and not like act like an old woman and whatever. And they're still kind of having this discussion with each other, this dialogue. So I think if there was a sequel, we'd still be stuck with her like hanging around. Yeah, Yeah, probably. Okay. So yeah, I guess you already answered this, like whether you felt satisfied by the ending, like you said yes until mother nature felt showed up. Yeah, I was, I was, I was like, well, you know, it's fine. And then Mother Nature, I'm like, ugh, okay, well, that ruined it. Bad taste in my mouth. I, I felt pretty satisfied by the ending. I would have liked to have seen like what the shizzle like was actually like. I would have liked to seen a clip from that. I think that would have been interesting. Like maybe in the end credits. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that that show doesn't make it past um, its pilot. It's not picked up because it's going to be crap. <laughs> yep, it's going to be the other kind of shizzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be the other shizzle. Absolutely. <laughs> And um, let's see, what do you think would realistically happen to a couple like Rosie and Adam? Um, you know, actually, I could, you know, I could see them continuing on for a bit of time. And then at some point, Adam's going to be like, I need to be with somebody who is either more secure with our relationship together. Because I don't think she's secure in this relationship. I think that she still feels, whether it's been said or not, old. She doesn't yeah. feel comfortable in the relationship. And then at some point also, you know, he might want to have kids or who even knows. Might, that conversation yeah. might come up. Yeah, like I think it would depend a lot on whether he wanted to have kids, but since yeah. we know very little about what he wants, like it's hard to say. Yeah. yeah. But I think they could have like a good working relationship and like yeah. Once again, I think they're going to be great friends forever. Yeah. And I think they could work out, but we just don't know enough about them. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely and, don't know enough about Adam. Yeah. 100%. Okay, so we was we were going to talk about a few more themes in the movie, like mainly we're going to talk about this idea of like, what is natural when it comes to aging. So this is brought up like right at the beginning of the movie, and then it pops up occasionally in the movie, like we mentioned, like with mentions of plastic surgery, um, dating and fertility, and and moisturizer, skincare. So like, yeah, it is a through line. There is a through line of this, like, can you age gracefully? How do you age? And what is what is age anyways? And I think that they're doing yeah. this. And I think that Heckerling is doing this in a way to show that one, that she was feeling old in the sense that people were telling her she was old and she was feeling her age, especially in an industry that, you know, revi- you know, thinks youth is amazing. Yeah. Um, and also that, you know, we're, she's working in an industry that as a woman, as an actress, once you hit an age, you're definitely not working. Yeah. Or you're working in roles that are like, very different. So I think that that's a, a huge thing that's going through there uh, is whether, you know, what is natural, what is unnatural, what do you have to do as a woman that men don't have to do? So this is one of the things sure. I found kind of weird is like all the plastic surgery is done to a dude. Yeah. When, in the movie. Yeah. In yeah. This, in, in the, the movie. Yeah, whereas in reality, dudes don't do that much. They're doing more and more, but they don't do as much nearly as women are pressured to do. Yeah, for sure. And like you know, plastic surgery surgeons will absolutely tell you that the reason why they're moving into the men's realm is because they've tapped out in the women's realm. And so they need to oh. like 
they need to gain gain more eyeballs. Okay. So is it that women are getting less of it or they've just already had it done? They've had it done or they are getting less of it. Women are at this stage, you know, they're still having plastic surgery, but you're having like more mini stuff done. You're not having anything large. And now with the world of injectables and the high powered facial things that we can do, more machines that we can use, you don't have to do. If you've taken care of yourself when you're younger, you do not have to do the things that you had to do as a baby boomer now. Hmm. Hmm. You know, if you take care of what you have, you will have it for a very long time. Things like staying out of the sun, which I'm terrible staying at. Staying out of the sun, eating right, <laughs> making sure that you, you're on the proper, proper skincare so that you're protecting, so you're protecting your barrier. So people are overpeeling. This is a big issue. People overpeel their skin all the time. They overbraid, they over scrub. And that's great for the cosmetic industry because long term, we're going to take all of your money because your skin's mm. going to be thrashed. Hmm. You know? So like- I, I wanted to address this topic specifically like about the movie with you because you're a skincare professional. So like in terms of, like the movie saying that there's like such a thing as natural and unnatural beauty and like mother nature's kind of being very judgmental about people trying to look younger. So like, what's your opinion about like the value of natural versus unnatural beauty? Like, I don't even like to use the word natural per se, because the idea of natural is like in my land, like completely a lie. There, there is no like natural beauty. It, almost all beauty has to be worked at at a certain time. And when you talk about natural in, when you talk about skincare and stuff, you, you know, this is just some broad term that could mean anything. So this is some really weird thing. Cause like, as I always tell clients when I'm talking to them about na- natural, I'm like, natural is dog poop. Natural is mercury. You know, these are all natural items. You don't want them on your skin. You don't want them in your body, but they're no. technically natural. So I think that when we, in this context, we're talking about natural, the idea of what you have to do to kind of stay looking healthy, it's more, it's less about, we've moved from the idea of like, I want to look naturally beautiful, beauty, beautiful, but the, the terms have become more like, uh, you know, I, I want to age gracefully. Mm-hmm. I want to continue to do what I can to, to make myself look the best I can. So Mother Nature's character in the movie is kind of arguing that you shouldn't do any of that stuff, basically, I feel like. And you're, you're, so your philosophy would be more like, you have to do something. Yeah. So yeah, explain more about what your philosophy would be then. So my philosophy, you, you have to do something. You have a certain level of, you know, your genetics and your epigenetics will help you, will, will help you stay looking young, feeling good. But the reason why people are looking so much better now than they did before is because we just have the ability to give you the right skincare, give you better food, understand how to take supplementation. We understand how to do those things. And you you need to do those things if you want to look good long term. There is a cliff that you fall off mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you just look old. Mm-hmm. There is no way of getting around it if you have not taken care of yourself and if you don't continue to take care of yourself. It's like a car. Your car drives really well and then kind of starts having a little bit of problems here and there. And then one day you're just like, it's broke. It's not worth yeah. fixing anymore. And then what and then what then would be gracefully aging gracefully to you, like as like in a practical sense as a skincare professional? I mean, so for me, aging gracefully is doing everything you need to do that doesn't require cutting that doesn't require super invasive procedures. Like if you want to go get Botox, that's fine. I don't like Botox. I think that there are alternate means to do it. But if you want to, I'm okay with it. Go ahead. Know, know your choices. I think that all counts as you know we, we, what we would consider natural beauty in this era. Hmm. Hmm. Whereas it, natural beauty, maybe in that era, getting injections was not. So when this move was made, 
if you'd asked me in 2007, I'm like, oh, injections are not natural. They're super not mm-hmm. natural because we right. didn't have the things that we have now that do this, th- like that do the same things. So the, technolo- this- the technology is the better technology. Yeah. We have okay. so much better technology. Uh, aging is aging and skincare, especially is like a phone. So what phone do you use? At- Jennifer, what phone? Oh, I don't remember. I'm not the best person to ask about this because I'm always out of date. I <laughs> well, really most am. People use, most people will have a phone that's only a couple years old. Yeah, mine's And the reason why that, is because yeah. if you don't update that phone, it just stops working. Your operating system doesn't work. The, you don't like the camera anymore because it's not as nice and new and pretty. It, they just don't function. You're not using a flip phone anymore. I because, did for a long time, though. I'm like, seriously, I'm definitely at the opposite end of this, but yeah, I'm interested. I mean, but yeah. most people, but are you anymore? Are you using a flip phone? No, but yeah. It's but, right? but you're not. You did eventually upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Right. You went to a phone that had had like a computer and stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. This is the same thing with skincare and the, and, and the technology of taking care of like your health and wellness. So like, I think I'm definitely, um, I'm at, I'm at this and like, I'm still young enough, I think that I haven't had to confront this very starkly in terms of looking older. Like I don't look that much older than I did in my thirties. I've, I've definitely, my personal philosophy up to this point has definitely been like, I don't want to like do a lot of stuff to my face and body to make myself look younger, but I guess it might be easier to say that from the standpoint I'm at right now. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And so, and, th- and that's one of the things that I talk to people about, especially when they're younger, it's, it's like anything else. When you have it, you don't worry about it. You're like, I have it. I have my health. I feel great, whatever. But I'm like, take care of it, take, put value to it and yeah. you, you know, take care of those things. Cause if you take care of them now, they will take care of you later. Whereas if you don't take care of them now, later on, you're going to give me a lot of money and people in my mm. profession, a lot of money to get back, back what you've lost. And you're never going to get back everything you had. You think Michelle Pfeiffer didn't take care of herself? She absolutely did. That's why she looks so great. For me, I think there's a certain philosophical concept behind it too, where like, I want to live in a society where people with wrinkles and older looking bodies and faces are still considered to have value and be beautiful. So for me, like, I think there's an aspect of myself where I feel hypocritical if I were to like make myself look younger because it's saying that the oldness looking old is not valuable. Like, right. I, how, do you, how do you deal with that kind of, um, and I think that you- is, it's, that's such an important thing. So one of the idea as we age is how other people perceive us. I don't think that there's much we can do about that. Mm-hmm. Aging just is something that we are, we like pretty, we like pretty, we like young, we like youth. Uh, when you get old, you're just showing people that, you know, what their future is, that they have the ability to get old and that they're probably going to die. And that's really what people are fighting against. Yeah. And that's why there's a, there's a really good episode of uh, Gracie and Frank, Frankie or Grace and Frankie, and that they talk about the idea that as women, when you're older, you become invisible hmm. and women especially become invisible when they become older because they're not as hot. They're not seen. They have their opinion isn't valued. And that's a lot of what our standard is. I don't know if that's a standard across the other countries of the world, but that's our standard. This is this ties in really well with actually some of the stuff Mother Nature's character says in the movie. There's a scene where um, Adam and Rosie are in a restaurant and there's this hot waitress that's hitting on Adam. 
And like mother nature's like, look at that body, like something about the cur- mm-hmm. curves are showing fertility and like everybody's attracted to fertility, whether they know it or not. Right. And like, and like Rosie's like, well, maybe some people are different, but mother nature's like, no, everybody. So do you find yourself agreeing with like mother nature's perspective? Like, I in that did. Have, I, there, the, the thing is like things that mother nature said, I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm on board with you, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. I just felt that in this movie, it was done very poorly. <laughs> yeah. and I didn't understand why it was here. Like, Michelle Pfeiffer needed to have those. She needed to have all of those conversations. They were important conversations to have about getting old, being af- being afraid of getting old, being afraid of not being seen. All mm-hmm. of those things I wanted to hear, but from her. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I wonder about it. Like I do wonder if like people, like if there's a certain aspect in which what we find attractive about youth is that biological imperative that some kind like mm-hmm. so, some kind of fertility thing going on. Like, and I like to think that people can move beyond that because it's certainly very terrifying to think that suddenly you won't be attractive to people. Like, but like even your own husband, maybe my husband insists that this is not the case with us, but you know, <laughs> well, and, and it, it is even beyond being attractive. It's just being like seen, noticed, valued. So being valued as a woman who is of a certain age is hard right now. It's very well, I'm difficult. A, I'm a hundred percent sure at least my husband will be valuing me when I get older, but yeah, like just in career wise and that type of thing. Yeah. Like men can dress like hobos when they're, even when they're older they, and it's still fine, whatever. Women have to start really, they're like, Oh, you really need to take care of yourself. You have to look better, dress more appropriately. And women are like, what, why does it matter? Well, because sadly it's how other people perceive you. Hmm. It's not how you perceive yourself. So for you, like beauty and like taking care of your skin, for example, can be a way of just like making sure that you are valued by society. Would yeah, that be- it, it, okay. it, it really is. Okay. I can see that. Okay. So let's see. I just want to address some about Michelle Pfeiffer's like own opinions about these types of issues. So like the character of Rosie, I don't know if she's supposed to have had any plastic surgery in the movie either. Um, I don't think she did. I don't think she was. I think she was supposed to be like just natural. Yeah. And Pfeiffer herself is quoted in July of 2021 as saying, quote, I'm not saying that I won't have plastic surgery at some point. I think that it's harder and harder the older you get to say never, especially being in the public eye. I think that if people want actually want to do something here or there, who cares if it makes them feel a little bit better about themselves? What I object to is too much and really bad plastic surgery. When I think it becomes a distraction and when people don't look like themselves anymore, as long as it doesn't overtake them, end quote. Yeah, so that's what she actually was quoted as saying about that issue. Yeah, and I was I was impressed that she even would say that much about it because even for any star to even talk about the fact that they could potentially have plastic surgery. Now she's obviously had some plastic surgery. Okay, she's had one it, okay. Just I want to I just want to make it clear this is your opinion and it's not this is my opinion. It is not out opinion. there, but yes, yeah. but honest to God, like this is what I do for a living, and you can if you look, you can one hundred percent see it. So there's a difference between plastic surgery and filler work. And that's important because she's had a bunch of fillers done. You can tell that she's, she gets fillers. She doesn't get overfilled. She does she does very nicely, but she has had a nose job a hundred percent. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate just because of legal, because this is not the official opinion of the every rom-com podcast, but this is Sybil's personal opinion on the matter. This is my opinion being okay. a trained professional. Okay. I'm not saying I'm not agreeing. I understand. Agreeing but yes. just, yeah. you look at that woman, look at her, look at her, her pictures from when she was young and then look at them as she's older. 
bridges don't bridges don't happen. They don't age like that. Your bridge gets wider, not thinner as you age. Mm, that's interesting. I look your forward nose to having, will expand and spread. It will not. I look, I look forward to having a bigger nose personally. Well, no. you're gonna have a nice big one. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm good with that. We all do. <laughs> Okay, so um, let's see. Other things that Michelle Pfeiffer has talked about aging and beauty. So she told Oprah Daily, quote, you reach a threshold where you're fine with looking good for your age instead of looking young for your age, and I've crossed it. Would I like to look the way I did in my early 30s? You bet, but that's not going to happen, and I don't feel the same pressure I once did to do so. It's quite a relief, honestly. So just another thing that Pfeiffer, she's actually involved in um, – organic and what she calls clean makeup. And she's become a board member of the environmental working group. I just thought that was interesting that she's like actually interested in the beauty world. Mm -hmm. And she actually lobbied Congress in favor of the personal care product safety act, um, which seems like it's, I don't know if they actually passed anything related to that yet, because as of June, 2021, um, there was a press release from Diane Feinstein of California I'm still introducing the Personal Care Product Safety Act. And basically, like a summary of what it does, she says, the Personal Care Product Safety Act will empower the FDA to review product ingredients and provide companies with clear guidance, including whether ingredients should continue to be used and if consumer warnings are necessary. It also requires the FDA to issue recalls on products likely to cause significant harm if companies refuse to do so voluntarily, an authority the FDA currently lacks. And it seems like this act has a lot of like... um it has a few medical associations and then a bunch of industry people who are supporting it. I'm not sure why it would have problems passing other than like industry lobbies can be pretty hardcore, but because it seems like it has these, industry, it has industry. No, most, of the, most of these are end up being absolute crap and useless. Um, I always tell people just look up proposition 65 in California and see the just bogus crap that is created for all of us. So, so explain, so you can explain, like, we, I don't want to go into in depth on this, like, but um, explain a little bit about from your point of so view. So what will happen is, you know, that all of these will start with the, with a good intention of like, oh, it's really going to help us, whatever. But then it, you know, people like to attach things to it and, you know, just watch an episode of the West Wing. You'll understand how this all goes. Oh, people you mean like just having like things attached to the bill? Is yeah. That people what you're attach about? things to it and they like to want to broaden the spectrum, what blah, 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 blah. And next thing, you know, you have a thing like Proposition 65, which is in California, where literally coffee has to have a warning label on it because it could be toxic. Hmm. Um, pretty much you can't buy anything that doesn't have in Propos on Proposition 65 because it even came near something that at some point might have had some kind of what on this list of contaminants. The bill on its own seems pretty reasonable, just like a lot right. of it's just having ingredients and transparency and things like that. And it had like a, a it had like an element of it that would help smaller businesses, which is one of the things I thought of right away. Like, oh, wouldn't smaller businesses have a much harder time complying with some of this stuff? But like, so you're you're are you concerned with the bill itself or like stuff I'm always like any, almost any of these bills turn out to be crap. That's, that's mm -hmm. how I feel about any whenever I see these, I'm like, oh, it's just going to be a bunch of crap. It's going to be so hard for us to manage because. If we want to put something out, if the beauty industry wants to put something out, they're just going to do it. The mm. FDA has virtually no power. They don't, they don't care. They only, and they only care about the things that they're told to care about. It's not like they police everything. Well, they only police something that somebody tells them to police. Well, I mean, that's what the bill is doing is telling them to police it essentially though. They're not going to, they, the FDA only polices. So it'll be under the realm of the FDA, but the FDA only polices things when they're told to police it. So Fine. yes, you're required to put things into the FDA. So the FDA now has has the ability to do this, but 
people are going to f- trust me skincare people are going to find their way around whatever they want to find their way around this seems like more like overall cynicism towards government to me than no it no it's just skincare industry will do i mean yes yeah. but skincare industry is going to do what it wants it always has well anyway michelle pfeiffer is like trying to like work to, with stuff like this to get the bill passed and like also i guess she created her own fragrance and like the idea behind it was that it's like all the ingredients are listed like some people wouldn't list their ingredients i guess because they were afraid of their proprietary stuff being stolen mm-hmm. but yeah that's the idea okay like well, one like tiny note i wanted to say about the movie too unless you want to say more about the beauty industry no stuff. i'm good okay so one more tiny note um I, I thought it was interesting that the assistant genie, like her Photoshop is essentially her weapon. Like it's not called Photoshop in the movie. It's called photo fiddler picture editor. <laughs> and like um, Photoshop, I guess itself was released in 1990. And, but I mean, throughout history, I guess photos have been edited and manipulated. That's like not new. It's just a different level of different manipulating of images. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's interesting, though, that Photoshop was added to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary in 2008 and when it essentially became a verb. And that, like, around that time was when the media had be- begun speculating about who, was this person Photoshopped? Was that person Photoshopped? Is that a real picture of them? Et cetera. So it's actually, she was kind of ahead of the zeitgeist putting this mm-hmm. Photoshop element into her film. That's one way the movie isn't dated. Although the actual technology her assistant's using is dated. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Did did you think it was interesting though? The photo that Photoshop was in there. I don't know. I I, I didn't notice it, but then again, I, okay. I yeah, I just probably didn't pay much of attention. I well, think that it's yeah. interesting that you thought to look it up. Well, one thing that I thought was interesting about it is like Jeannie's actually using Photoshop like as a weapon, like against another woman. And I think so often in our culture these days, like the ability to Photoshop and manipulate images is often used against women rather than for women, like even when it's making women look better and more appealing, it in some ways is making women, like women in real life feel like, oh, I'm not as beautiful as that woman, you know, I'll never, I'll never be as thin as her or my skin will never be as perfect as her when it's all really this like mirage. And like, that's become even more of an issue with stuff like apps like Facetune, where people are like automatically just adding, adding things to Instagram and Facetuning them before they're up there. And so it's hard to like, you know, to be happy with who you really are in the mirror when that's what the image is that you're expected to have. I agree. I mean, it, that is very much. And, and that we live in a world where people we we've now filtered and Photoshopped so heavily that, you know, people will come in and be like, I want to look like, you know, I want to look like this. I'm like, girlfriend, that's not real. That's like, yeah. that's fake. That's Photoshop. Yeah. Or as I say, that's Adobe. <laughs> and the assistant is using it in this case to like make people either look unflattering or to mm. incriminate people. And like people also use Photoshop for that. Like, so we've got now photo editing, like being used like for deep fake porn against women too. Um, so there's some amazing deep fakes. Oh my gosh. I, I follow a guy who does um, deep fake Tom Cruise and it's incredible. Like I'll just watch and be like, this is incredible. Hmm. That's like, that has like immense implications for the future though. Like what can we trust? Like you can't trust anything. That's what you were going to learn. Yeah. Can't trust any of it. Fake news. So good news, Amy Heckerlein, you were ahead of the curve on you this. You certainly was. <laughs> In a movie that's otherwise dated, you got it right on the nose. <laughs> okay. And then like, just really quickly, like, I felt like this movie had a lot of things that were both feminist and not feminist um, in nature. Like obviously, yeah. like like we talked about in Clueless, it's there's always like a feminist element when it's a female writer and director uh, lead and, you know, and just being female led. 
Yeah. And, and there's a strong older woman protagonist, which I love. She has complexity. She's not a jealous stereotype as a, as a girlfriend. She's got a great mother daughter relationship and the younger daughter, the daughter has complexity too. And they both talk about issues affecting women. And I mean, just for the Hague scene alone, I I love that. It's like a feminist iconic scene to me. Mm -hmm. I wish it was more present on YouTube. I had to really dig to find it. And then we talked about not as much already, like there's slut shaming throughout the movie. Um, It's made into a bit that Jeannie's sleeping with the head of comedy instead of being like maybe icky, problematic on his side. There's a really casual attitude towards eating disorders in this movie. And it's pitting older and younger women against each other. Like there is like teamwork in terms of like Rosie and her daughter banding together. But Rosie doesn't really have a female friend. Unless Why we cast- doesn't Rosie yeah. have any female friends? It did freak me out. I'm like, how come you are so lonely? Yeah, except unless you count Mother Nature, her imaginary friend. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe the thing is what we find is that Rosie's actually mentally ill. And that's why they there don't stay go. together. Yeah, that's the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and and then, yeah, she's got this sort of gay best friend, maybe. We, we don't even see them interact that much. But he's the one who more talks to her about the relationship than anyone. So... I guess yeah. we'll call it that. Okay, so then really quick, we're going to go over our favorite scenes. And this movie is so all over the place that I think one of both of our favorite scenes didn't even make it in the plot summary. No, because it so, did, didn't even need to be there. It was so yeah. it was so creepy and random to me, but I loved it anyways. Wait, wait, creepy? Okay, okay I don't know so if we're talking yeah, about okay, the same first one. First, tell the scene. Tell the scene. Okay, so there's a scene where the little girls are like prank calling different celebrities. Like they call Matthew Perry and be, so, something like, so we're still friends, right? Or something. And then they call Henry Winkler. And like you see the, what's great about this scene, it gets better and better when you watch it more. He's sitting there reading Sartre and listening to yes. classical music and he's laughing at the Sartre. And he gets the phone call in his little like classical music living room and the girls go, hey. <laughs> he corrects them. He corrects them. <laughs> yeah. What does he say? It's like. He's uh, like, no, no, it's hey. <laughs> And then he just kind of shakes his head and like hangs up and then he calls them back and he's like, you're so grounded. I like, <laughs> I don't know. I just love that scene. I thought it was so funny the way they set up Henry Winkler in his house. And then just the idea it never occurred to me before. But if you were like the, the kid of like some Hollywood person, you could totally prank call all these celebrities. Okay, so that is where I have my trouble. And they do bring it up later when she's like, what do you, when Rosie's like, what do you mean you were prank calling like my, you know, my list? Who did you call? And she like starts listing off people. And you're like, oh my God, as somebody who sees high profile clients and I keep everything locked down and it's super quiet and no one's going to know. It's, I was so triggered. I was like, if anybody got a hold of my list and started prank calling my people, I would feel mortified. And that's just like such a betrayal of trust. Yeah. Yeah. Which is brought up. Yeah. But that, that's why that, that I was like, there was part of me that like was enjoying that scene, but there was a whole other part that I was like, you know, that they got this number from their mom and you know that this is not the first time this has happened. And this is so sketchy. Yeah. But it's so You just imagine them calling Brad Pitt. That's really what I imagine. Brad Pitt getting a phone call. <laughs> okay. So um, my other favorite scenes... Uh, the romance, I like the romance montage with Pfeiffer and Rudd. I did. You didn't like it so much. I no. loved it. I think they had such good chemistry and I was smiling. And I love, yeah. like I mentioned, Rosie and Izzy playing with the Barbie dolls. And, oh, and there's this other very micro scene. You see Brianna doing an anti-smoking PSA where she's like, I would never date a guy who smokes. 
And then she immediately, after they say cut, she takes a totally cigarette a and cigarette. starts smoking. I didn't even notice that the first watch through. Then I noticed the second watch. I'm like, oh my God. I didn't notice that scene at all until you said it. And I was like, oh my God, I remember. <laughs> that was brilliant. Uh, so, I mean, maybe with a rewatch, well, you would find other little bits and tidbits that are fun that we just, yeah. we've just missed. Uh, so Yeah, that's I, what I'm saying. Heckerling does these um, micro scenes and dialogue that are great, but the, the structure is just a mess. Yeah, my the opinion is a mess the structure is but there are pieces that there are p- pieces of just absolute beauty and genius and all the acting is fantastic like yeah. everybody's on point yeah so what any favorite scenes that you have that we, i didn't mention no i mean i loved i loved anything with izzy like she she is just she just steals the scene anytime sorsha's there she just see, steals the scene i have such a good time with her and i i I'm a huge fan of her now. I was like, she's a good actress before, but now I'm like, I watched this movie and I'm like, if she's this good when she was young and yeah. I've liked her films, like she's amazing. I'm on board hundred percent. I'm fan forever. I'm going to warn you if you haven't seen it already, I don't think you'll like Ammonite though. It was too slow for me. And I know how you feel about slow movies. I have seen Ammonite. It was incredibly slow, but she was brilliant in it. You made it through Ammonite. Okay. Wow. I did. Wow, I made know. it through. I did. I'll be honest with you. Luckily it was on, uh, I think it was on it was on Hulu and Netflix. I could fast forward. And I do that when I get bored. You just fast 15 second, 15 second, yeah, yeah. 15 second. Yep. Yep. Well, I'll have to watch it now. If you can do it, I can do it. Okay. Um, so um, I guess like, unless you want to say more about the film in general, we can do nope. double feature recommendations. Double feature recommendations. And do you want to, sw- do you want to switch off or do you want to do all your, all in a batch? I can do all mine. You do all yours. We don't have okay. that many. Okay, so for double feature recommendations, my first recommendation is Ant-Man and the Wasp, because this is my MCU recurring rom-com series. And I just think it's a fun thing to like watch how these actors have changed, how they have a different dynamic in this movie. And plus, I just recommend watching the Ant-Man films. They're really fun. I think some of Rudd's best work, actually, even though it doesn't seem like he's doing like much acting, I think he really does have to do a lot to like center this film in reality, you know, where they have all this tech. You know, I think he does a great job in the in the MCU. So mm-hmm. I'd recommend Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the sequel, upcoming sequel. And then I would recommend The Graduate. We didn't really mention this, but there's a couple places in the movie where The Graduate is referenced. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like a very interesting time capsule of the late 60s and a very different take on an older woman, younger man relationship. Um, kind of gives you the sense of how older women were regarded then. Yeah, um, but has great performances though as well, and I just think it'd be an interesting pairing with this movie. And then finally, I recommend going to YouTube and checking out some of the episodes of the Clueless TV show if you want to see the series that was Heckerling's inspiration, or if you're just a fan of Clueless and you want to see like what did they do with this in the TV universe. Definitely, especially if you liked Stacey Dash's character, there's a lot more of her in the TV series. She's almost carrying it more than the person who replaced Alicia Silverstone. So check that out. Oh, good. That's wonderful to hear. So my mine would be based on um, teen coming of age films with Rudd. Uh, per- the Perks of Being a Wallflower is such a good one. Uh, I, I, I love that film. I've, we've actually talked about it, Jen and I, on one of the- Oh, now the streaming. Small, yeah. Yeah, I'm streaming, now streaming. Um, I would say that uh, Sorsha and Little Women, I love Little Women that came out with 2020, I think is the little women that just came out. It's my favorite rendition of twi- of little women. And that it's hard to say, but it really is. It's so fantastic. And then Grace and Frankie season one, episode three is that one I referenced earlier, which is about invisible women. It's called the dinner. 
And it's, mm. you know, you will be enlightened. But that whole series is fantastic. So if you want, want to go glom yeah. and TV show, go go to town. You know, I think I might actually finally watch that show because you brought it up a few times. And I'm like, I've kind of had it in the back of my head. And I definitely am ready for another show. So maybe that'll be my next one. It yeah. is fantastic. You'll enjoy it. I'd, I would love to hear what you think. Cool. Well, that's our show for today, I guess. It's really been fantastic having you on, Sybil. Like, I'm glad you're back with us Thank for you. this episode. Um, I just want to do a reminder for everybody. Um, to our, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And I really encourage you to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. We'd especially appreciate more reviews. Like, I'm even okay with a bad review. I like feedback. So tell us what you think. And some of the upcoming shows we're going to have, I'm planning out a really fantastic horror rom-com series for the month of October. So you're going to be able to look forward to seeing some of those or hearing some of those soon. <laughs> and yeah, I hope you'll enjoy them as much as I do because I love horror and I love rom-coms. Like what could be better? Thanks everyone for listening today. And thanks Sybil again. And take care everyone. It's been fun. I'll see you all again. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.